know, growing up, I've always admired and curious about the cultural practices of Malolo. It's strong connection to the people, my people, land, and a spiritual reference to it, referring, of course, to both the plant and the beverage, or that it's extracted from what it is scientifically known as a peppermetiscament plant, and what the world has come to know as kava. But to me, it has always been known as malohu in my raga tongue, the language of North Pentecost in Vanuatu. Now, for the purpose of the audience of this episode, I will be using the term kava. So in this episode, I want to talk about kava, starting with my story, the way I feel kava, because truth be told, you hear from the outside, outsiders talk about and write about kava extensively and even do research about kava and so forth. Most of the time when I read articles or blogs about kava on the internet, it makes me somewhat uncomfortable because the views are very limited, especially when talking about a crop, a traditional crop that has been around for 3,000 years and has been practiced extensively by the people that know more about the kava, um, especially my people from the Pacific and to be precise, where I come from in Vanuatu. Then someone who's trying to write a view paragraph about it or a blog about it. It's okay, there's nothing wrong to it, but I think that you hardly hear from an indigenous Pacific Island people, particularly women, what they thoughts are on cover, what they think about cover and their experiences. So I will give you, we'll start off this episode on cover about my story and how my relationship with cover, and then we can jump right into a discussion about cover with our special guest, who is going to be my good friend, Mr. Kirk Huffman. As always, when I talk about anything of uh, cultural aspects of customs, especially in Vanuatu, I have him and some other people come on and to the mat and speak to me about it. So I'm excited to have as well on this episode, my husband and um, with Kirk, who are going to be talking about the experience. So it's, it's going to be fun. So stick around and I hope you that you can join me on this wonderful episode of Coming to the Mat. Now this summer my cousin and his wife and three children, their three children who now live in Hawaii, um, came for a visit. So we had fun, so much fun. Uh, of course, when you think of Hawaii, you think about the beautiful ocean and the sandy beach. And of course, the weather, warm, it makes me feel homesick when I think about it. Because, of course, I'm in the Pacific Northwest right now in November. It's pretty cloudy and gloomy and wet, but that's fine. Anyways, um, as it is customary for Pacific Islanders, you never visit a family or friend without bringing something as a token of appreciation. But more to it is to acknowledge that reciprocal respect of family ties and relationships between family, not just for him and me and our own families here in the U.S., which we'll consider ourselves basically 
people of the Pacific in the diaspora, but for extended families on uh, North Pentecost and throughout Vanuatu, where we both come from, and also ancestors, uh, ties of relationships that go way back. So basically, one of those cultural etiquettes for Pacific Islanders, if you want to pick up on that little tip. And one of the things that I asked him when him and his wife and kids were coming, I said, you know, could you please bring me a couple of branches of island cabbage? Now, I think um, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're from Vanuatu, of course, you're going to pick up on that. But uh, in other parts of the Pacific and also in Hawaii, it is a staple um a staple green, green staple for us in, in Vanuatu, especially when we cook it with so many different ways that we can cook it. And where I come from, we call it uvere. And um, in the Vanuatu Bishlama language that we speak, it is called island cabbage. And throughout the Pacific, especially in Hawaii, they call it uh, laupele, and Tonga, Samoa, and Fiji would be Pele or Bele. And in some languages of the Solomon Islands would be Gedi, if I can pronounce that right. And in Papua New Guinea would be Apikia, and so forth. So this episode, uh, we will be specifically looking at Kava. But anyway, that will be another episode one time when we can talk about how to prepare it or what is island cabbage. So interestingly, without a doubt, I instinctively know that he will be bringing, my cousin will be bringing malo um, cover as well, uh, apart from the island cabbage branches because I wanted to plant them. I've been missing that and I wanted to plant them here. Of course, I ended up planting it outside for the summer. This was the island cabbage or pele. And then uh, as soon as it started growing and sprouting and um, it's it's just wonderful uh, greens to have. Um, and I've got it in the big pot in my inside the house where it is blooming. So, you know, I instinctive, instinctively knew that he was going to bring also Kava or Malogu with him. So Kava to share with his brother-in-law, which my, my husband, again, as it is customary now of raga culture or custom, and a visit without kava won't would not be appropriate. Um, suffice to say that no, that no matter how far we both, my cousin and I, are from our home, uh, the confine of a cultural setting and practices of how you prepare kava, uh, we were still bonded by the deep respect for the significance of sharing the kava drink with. Um, him and my husband because it cements our bond of family and relationship so that is one aspect of my um you know even though i'm living on this side cover what cover is to me and what it represents so 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 long as i can remember cover was always present in my life from birth you know if you have a newborn baby uh, from weddings, uh, graduation ceremonies, and so forth, uh, even used in basically f- informal and formal setting. So in fact, I can't even remember any of my live event where cover was absent. It would be probably, perhaps I think, considered an ab- abomination if to celebrate any kind of live event, whether it's formal or informal, without this 
uh, any form of uh, drinking cover ceremony. My dad, who is also known in my family as a very proud traditionalist of everything uh, Raha custom, um, to celebrate every achievement in my family, whether big or small, even the start of a school year, or taking a, a big test at school. So every little achievement I have ever accomplished knows my six siblings. Uh, we all can remember he's always, you know, partaking in some sort of cover ceremony. So, and usually this would happen in the confine of our home. And he will take his time to drink, especially a special brew, whatever, different types of cover that he would, um, he would choose. But mostly he likes it done very traditionally at the end of the day before he sits down for his dinner. So he and he, like most of the men from Pentecost or Raga, where I come from, have a deep respect uh, and reference. Um, I'm speaking specifically for where I come from because uh, Vanuatu has uh, 83 car islands altogether and all the islands prepare their cover differently. Um, you know, everything is different. We have different customs and different language. So, and I mean all very deep and reference of this uh, plant and in all sense of the word respect and reference. So as the older daughter uh, of seven children, uh, four, four uh, being girls, so I'm the older daughter, my dad taught me from a very early age, as far as I can remember, away from the eye of the community and the main meeting house or in my language, we will call it Khamali, or in the national language, it would be Nakamal. In the confine of a home, how to reference the spiritual aspect of uh, of the drinking, or partaking in uh, kava, and how it's done, how he introduced this to me, the reference of this is by waiting on him to take a drink and and then afterwards when he's ready to eat uh, with my mom the help of my mom showing me the ropes how to serve uh, food on a plate where we can uh, sit down and eat and it is a time where for him to talk to me while I sit quietly and listen about what he had to say mostly about passing on traditional knowledge whether uh, any question that I might have or anything that is going on during the day or what's the event or just anything that he felt like it was an appropriate time as I was growing different age, uh, what he could teach me and also give me other relevant nuggets of wisdom, uh, cultural wisdom that he wanted to pass on. But it was also a time where he found it comfortable to talk to me about life in general, even though uh, one of the things that, uh, as you, you notice, I had mentioned that my cousin had brought the cover for him to drink with my husband and not me and my sister-in-law is because uh, in my custom, in Raga custom, we are not allowed to drink cover. Women are not allowed to drink cover. So even though I wasn't allowed to drink, as it is taboo for me as a female to drink or partake in any of the cultural uh, rituals, in my Raga custom. My dad, on the other hand, saw this, you know, time of me growing up as a pathway, as an opportunity to pass on those. He used it as a, as a conduit of passing on those 
traditions that only a dad could pass on to a daughter during the time of uh, him partaking of kava. So I found it very interesting and always very curious. And as I watch him um, partake in during the time where he would partake in the drinking of kava, and you know it was not always that I would have to be there present, but it would there's specific times where he would signal for me, and of course my mom being there as well. Uh, and it was very deep. It was a very deep reference of and the things that he would talk about. So there was a there was an element of reference to that, even though I wasn't allowed to partake in it. Of course, I was very young, uh, but even as as a grown woman. Uh, I still respect that. So since it's a traditional taboo in my custom, and also in Vanuatu uh, for that matter, uh, as women or female to not uh, partake in the drinking of kava, my dad made sure that I understood the reasons why by demonstrating the special aspects of you know the relationship between not just him partaking in the kava, but also... Um, spending that time with me, those special moments where he would show me what to do. And obviously uh, my mom showing me what to do and being able to sit there quiet as he talks to me and understanding the little nuances of the things that he was doing, trying to not completely understand it. So some that I can pick up on and the some that obviously I had to learn on my own. So, I mean, I could really vividly remember or remember at times when my siblings and I would watch him take a drink. And it's a very different, uh, because he's obviously doing this in the confine of a home, it's not like very formal because obviously in the nakama or the meeting house, it would be a little bit different or especially depending on the event, whatever the event is and how it's... Um, it's done because women cannot enter into the meeting house where the men would drink kava. I'm not particularly sure about all that, you know, cultural aspect, aspects to that. So I can only tell you what happens in the, what my dad taught me in the confine of a house or home. So he would, you know, drink his kava and, and um, very quiet. So when you take it, it's, it's not like beer or, or wine where you have a, laugh and you know do all that this is very quiet it's like talking but it's it's a very monotone kind of atmosphere there's no uh, music in the background um, the only music I can remember is him singing but it was it would basically be traditional songs like real traditional songs that he would sing and there was a, a sense to like how that's the communication that he was having that spiritual aspect of, of, of taking on that kava. So, you know, he would stand in complete silence and as he was paying, it's almost like he was paying his respect to the gods. And then you know, with the kava, you, there is a process when once you drink it, you, you have to spit. And the, also, the spitting is also a symbolism, a ritual symbolism or spiritual symbolism. And it, it's very, it differs from island to island. And so in where I come from in North Pentecost, each man have their own different way of how they communicate uh, in the spiritual sense of taking on this drink. So 
I'd watch him do that and then he would say a few words that only he can make sense of it and half of the time I don't even know and and he'd be often very quiet and you know he would let out a happy tune at the end after he would sing to wind down because it's very relaxing this the drink I and I never seem to ask him to explain why he spits at the end uh, after he takes a shell or why he stands in complete silence after he scoops up a shell and when I talk about a shell this is you know a coconut shell it's obviously a dried coconut shell and once it's dried it's scooped out in a hollow it's a hollow shell um, just small enough so that um, you know each person has one you can the drink you stand the liquid or the beverage is then poured into it so and then it's washed out and and after you're done so I never ask him why he would you know stand in complete silence so it's like a reference to the gods and why he would sing at the end but mostly like a humming sound it's not like singing so loud and to be honest I I didn't really need to ex have him explain this part because I know what it meant to him when he was doing that so that's my experience with how my dad had taught me through this process because women were not allowed to drink cava so he kind of gave me a different side of it that I experienced that I have come to embrace and understand it um, like I said, kava is used in many aspects of uh, our lives in, in Vanuatu, where I come from, but also in the Pacific. Um, and every farewell arrivals has to be marked with the family gathering or big feast of uh, island kakai, what we call or umu, if you like, food that's baked in the earth oven. And then we have the kava drinking in the evening, which uh, with speeches to thank the gods, acknowledging, uh, you know, and thanksgiving for everything that uh, the food that can be given to us um, and also the reference to the family the family is very important and um, this you know this plant that has now is you know, science the scientists refer to as a species of the pepper or pepper metiscamon has always been an integral aspect of my life and my belief and my identity and way of life in fact is if for Pacific Islanders or for myself as a Pacific Islander as a Nivanuatu it is more just more than just a drink that everyone seems to be obsessed with or mostly occupied especially in the West today which is nice to see I'm glad to see that. Um, but my dad even, I mean, on one stage, he even owned a cover bar or nakama where I, when I was growing up and has been a cover grower ever since I can remember as a little child. So really for me, I've always been surrounded by kava. And I guess if you come from a place that has strong connection to and with kava, the cultural practices of kava, the medicinal use of kava and so forth, you start to see it as part of you so it's your identity you there's there's uh, cover land which is very important to uh, Nivanuatu and Pacific Island people um, they're one of the same and so for me that's my take on on that and then I think I want to also speak to the fact that the irony of the fact that even though I'm, it's part of me and I cannot, you know, I'm not allowed to participate or partake in the drinking aspect or, or the rituals and practices because obviously 
It is a long-held belief and tradition in Vanuatu that it's taboo to participate, for women to participate in the drinking aspect of kava. So even though I, you know, I still uphold this very strong tradition beliefs, which my, for me, it's, now I'm speaking for me specifically here because my father had shown me a different side of it rather than just being told, but he had let me in into certain aspects. Obviously, I cannot say this in the air, but I have come to truly understand that and respect it in that sense. Even though I never, you know, never drunk cover or, and I still uphold the tradition of belief, I never see myself as anything less of a person or anything less, uh, you know, just because only my father or my brothers or my cousins or grandparents and uncles can drink it, but not me as a woman. I don't see myself less of a person than that because I can I have an identity that there are other side of it that makes more sense to me. So, um, but you know what? Today, both men and women, particularly if you in the setting of like the urban setting, they can drink kava now. Men are able to participate. Uh, sorry, women are able to participate in the urban communities and. You know, following the t the changes, changes uh, traditions and change, and we now live in the mod modernity of Western life, and so that changes. Um, however, you know, women women can drink that, and that's that's good in a way. And the use of the different you know different cover plants for medicinal purpose, and in some islands, and that's also practice. Uh, it's known that women are also be able to use that for medicinal purpose. So I would often hear this statement ma made when I would ask the question, well, why couldn't women drink? Obviously, um, ask my dad. Um, here's a different little bit of version, but the general version of it or the general response to it is that women cannot drink kava because kava is considered a woman and how can a woman drink from a woman? So that was always something that led you know, led me to reflect on those reasons. And and even though I had my own reasons to believe, uh, it can only be understood through this, again, deep cosmological understanding of you have the brutality of it, the sacred power of it, and the nature of the sexed bodies uh, as, as hence the response to why women cannot drink color. But at the same time, it also evoked this in me or anybody, I hope, any woman, the situation regarding the gender relations and cover drinking practices that has emerged through Vanuatu's transition from the colonial times or outposts to the independent nation state where we are today. And you know, now seeing women from my island of Pentecost, not Pentecost and Pentecost in general, and other islands as well in Vanuatu uh, that were once forbidden to drink kava can now drink, but only obviously in the settings of kava bars that have popped up around the two big main towns or cities if you like in Vanuatu in the last few years. So in this, you know, you can find both men and women drinking kava, but usually at night. So like any traditional plant, usually one as old as kava, which is about 3,000 years old, that has been there and practiced indigenous 
Pacific Island people have practiced this traditions in their own respectively in their own different ways and countries. There is a lot of lure around the use of the plant. Every region in the Pacific has its own original story of how the plant came to be. While every island is different, there's a lot of overlap, which suggests that the stories may have stemmed from a similar source and have gradually changed and evolved over the years. Hello, this is Coming to the Mat, podcast from the Melanesian Women Today Impact Service Series. Told through the lens of everyday, ordinary Pacific Island women, the Mat series seeks to break cultural barriers and invite listeners to hear real human stories of making a difference. The stories you will hear from the series balance diverse interests and weave together the story of courageous women who dedicate their lives to making a difference in their communities and country. Coming to the Mad series is a safe space that allows for women in the Pacific to use their voices. It also explores the integral aspects of women's lives all across the South Pacific and gives the listener a window into the many different issues women face through storytelling. and welcome to Coming to the Mad with me, your host, Dr. Mere Tarisovic. Coming to the Mad is a safe space where women from across the Pacific come together to share their stories and their achievements. The Mad also serves as a space to widen the range of females' voices being heard. So each month, we like to profile a story that reflects women's achievements in the hopes that by them telling their story, you can also shed light to the struggles they've gone through to serve as an example for others and at the same time empower other women and girls to fight stereotypes and go on to achieve their own dreams. And sometimes, like today, we share stories that reflect Pacific Island cultures, like we are talking about color, and share the stories with the rest of the world. And you've just heard me talk about my reflection of Kara as a woman growing up in Vanuatu. So this is the first podcast actually, back from a very long sabbatical, and I'm so happy to be back. But let me begin by uh, saying uh, thank you to all the keen listeners of Coming to the Mad and Follow Us, because these episodes are also made available to radio listeners in the Pacific. So if you're listening in the Pacific, I'd like to say a big fella thank you, Thomas, for joining us or joining me wherever you are, wherever you're getting your podcast or listening um, from whatever station you're listening. Thank you. So again, um, this is a wonderful, a wonderful episode or a wonderful story or story and time, I think, that it's good to be able to talk about something that is... Um, you know, it's well known throughout the Pacific and now it's kind of breaking the boundaries of the Pacific and it's verging out into the rest of the world, particularly in places like United States, especially in New York. 
um, where there are kavanakamals are every place and everywhere. So I'm sure for those who are listening in the United States and listening to this podcast, um, welcome to Coming to the Mat and I, you are in for a treat because today we are going to talk about exactly that and what I like to call it the drink of the gods or the gift of the Pacific to the world and of course my special guest will like to say that too and he came up with this gift to, of the Pacific to the world and of course I'm talking about kava. Uh, a plant that is obviously very special to Pacific Islanders, uh, not just that we can partake in it, but it's very significant culturally and spiritually. It's a, a gift that's very connected to our land, to our people in so many ways. So this is going to be a two-part episode. In the first part, I've obviously have, I've talked about, we will talk about cover from the eye of an anthropologist with my good friend, Mr. Kirk Heffman. And he will reveal how he got to drink kava for the first time and from a very traditional uh, setting and methods and everything. So he will tell you uh, about that. And then I am so happy that my husband, Jason Sobek, who will be joining us as well to share about his drinking uh, experience the first time he drank kava. So his uh, first experience was more about socializing. Uh, being a very young uh, Peace Corps volunteer who just got out from college, fresh out of college and straight into Peace Corps, um, it was a way for him to find ways to socialize and cover kind of got his attention. So that's going to be our first episode uh, today. And in the next episode, which will be coming up in uh, next month, because this is a monthly podcasted episode that we try to produce, is going to be about the experiences and the insight of how culture, of how kava is practiced culturally in different parts of the Pacific. So I will be speaking to several Pacific Islanders and they will give their uh, take on wh- how, what kava is to them, what island, the country they're from and how it's prepared. And uh, two of my um, guests will be from the Pacific, but they're from the uh, diaspora, meaning living outside from the Pacific. And what is it like as well to practice the drinking, uh, not in the traditional setting in the islands, but in the diaspora, what that, that is like. So I think that would be a very good um, way to kind of understand, deeply understand Kava from Pacific Island uh, perspective. And we might also uh, look at some uh, commercial side of cover um, from both men and women. And that would be a good good insight to see that. So either that could be our second part of the second episode or it could be a third part of the episode because cover has, has a lot of branches to it that we can explore in different ways. But again, I just want to remind our listeners that there are some aspects of cover because it is a very uh, respected, old practice traditions that the only some things that we can talk about and um, some things that, um, you know, because we do not have the permission to talk about on air. So thank you so much for joining me for this first part episode on cover. Can we come me? Me! Mouse, mouse! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Let me come.
talking obviously from my experience as I've already mentioned but with Mr. Kirk Huffman who's going to be my special guest for today and I would just like to introduce him before he comes on a little bit about Mr. Kirk Huffman. He's obviously a very well-known anthropologist who has spent many years in the former New Hebrides which is now Vanuatu. He's known for his many contributions especially to the history writing of customs and cultures of Vanuatu. He'd spent almost 18 years, he spent 18 years working um, during his cultural fieldwork, mostly on the island of Malakula in the 70s, that's 1973 to 1976. And later he became a full-time, the full-time, first full-time curator of the National Museum of Vanuatu, which is called the Cultural Center, from 1977 till the end of 1989. So his background, his um, his educational background, he had studied prehistoric archaeology and ethnology from the universities of, uh, or had studied at universities of Newcastle, Oxford University and Cambridge University in the UK before he started his fieldwork in Vanuatu in the 1970s. So as an anthropologist and ethnologist, Crooks um, has many, many things that he's done, including obviously an honorary curator of the National Museum section of Vanuatu since uh, center since 1991. And he just recently completed it 50 years altogether in total as an honorary research associate with the Australian Museum in Sydney, Australia in June of this year, 2022. He is also a member of the scientific committee with the Museum of Tahiti um, and the island of Punoa, Tahiti in French Polynesia and a corresponding member of the Institute of Advanced Studies with University of Nantes in France. He's also had privilege of learning, he's also had the privilege of learning through many spaces of cultures around the world where he spent quality time with wise traditional cultures, obviously in the Pacific, in Vanuatu, especially in Vanuatu, North Africa, the parts of Sahara, North Colombia and South America, and also have learned from traditional patients in the interior of the island of Ephesia in Spain. So thank you so much for stopping by and learning more about Kava from this episode today with me, your host, and my guest, Mr. Kirk Huffman, and my husband, Mr. Jason Sovic. So welcome to Coming to the Mat. <laughs> To you, Kirk, you're going to start off with first maybe say a little bit about how you came to found this wonderful, amazing plant, drink, uh, whatever we can call it, and I'm sure you have some names for it. Um, and what was your experience like the first time when you first uh, drank cover before we go into 
the origins of cover, what is cover, and all of that. Okay, Mary, Tabiana, mm -hmm. and Jason, uh, nice to get a chance to speak with you as well. Um, look, we're talking about something that is a sacred plant that is really important mm -hmm. for many, many cultures in the Pacific. But to start out at a personal level, I'd like to say thanks to representatives, three representatives from one particular culture in northern central Vanuatu, who were the ones who introduced me personally to Kava uh, for the first time uh, nearly, nearly 50 years ago, in 1973. Mm -hmm. And these are people from the uh, Big Nambus area in northwestern Malakula. Mm -hmm. And my first thanks and respect I'd like to give to the, uh, my dear friend, the late Malin Kalman Hapsai, Chief Kalman Hapsai, who in 1973 was the chief hereditary uh, chief of the lines from Ondawalo mm. on the high plateau mm. in the uh, Big Nambus area. Uh, and by 1973, though, he and many of his people had gone down towards the coast. And he was the one who first invited me to drink Namalach in their language, Kava, mm -hmm. in his uh, Nakamal. Uh, in northwestern Malakula in, 19, in 1973. And then also a thanks to the late Rab Navet, mm -hmm. who had been a former Maho uh, fighter, champion, mm -hmm. um, uh, of the Big Nambus, who uh, a, a drunk carver with in Awiaru, um, uh, in the Big Nambus area in 1973, in the men's hut uh, there, where we were having discussions about... Uh, uh, the day a uh, traditional life in their area. Mm -hmm. And then also at the same time in 1973, thanks to the late uh, original chief Virabat, Virambat mm -hmm. of Amok, uh, who's the, he died in uh, 1988, but he's the, the grandfather, or the great grandfather of the current chief of Amok mm -hmm. uh, in that area, the current chief, uh, uh, chief Virambat uh, uh, Nisai too. Uh, and I think his son may have, his son may have come, but this is his grandfather or great-grandfather who introduced me to Kava in the Nakamals at Plumli near Amok in 1973. And the interesting thing in those days is that the tradition of, the new tradition of drinking with coconut, half coconut shells, mm. drinking Kava with half coconut shells, had not arrived in the Big Nambus area at that time. Mm. Kava was not drunk in coconut shells. It was uh, uh, chewed. Mm -hmm. by the men, mixed. They smoked the kava roots. Mm -hmm. The best big Nambas kava came from a place called Picayer, up in the high plateau. Um, and they smoked the roots. And uh, then the dried smoked roots were then chewed, mm -hmm. cut, pounded mm -hmm. and chewed, and then mixed in a, uh, into a, uh, a sort of a, Canoe made from the spathe of the, of the underleaf of, uh, of the coconut, uh, mm. uh, spathe of a coconut yeah. uh, tree, huh? yeah. which they call Nasruni uh, Namalak, uh, the canoe of the kava, and the kava was mixed there. And mm. then it was all under the control of the chief. There's people chewing the kava for the chief. And then when the chief signals when the kava is ready, and the chief then signals with his eyes mm. as to who is to drink, all the people who are waiting to drink are sitting inside. 
at the edges of the inside of the Nakama. And then uh, the, the, the leader of the Kava, the chief of the Kava, signals who's supposed to drink. And then you crawl across the floor of the Nakama oh. on your hands and knees. Wow. And you face the Kava ball and you put your head in. Mm-hmm. And you drink the kava with the right side of your mouth, while with the left side of your mouth, which is outside of the kava, mm. you're to make a sound, which is to show the appreciation to the chief of the quality of his kava. Mm. Uh, and then when you finish drinking, you ari ari go. Mm. Ari ari go. You go back. You don't turn around. Mm. You're still on backside, but you're chief. Eh? Mm. You turn around, you're still facing the chief. Then you go back and then you sit down and then the next person is signaled to go. Mm. And so that's how I was introduced to Kava, in a very traditional way, mm. in the men's hut in uh, Uyaru, mm. and one of the men's huts, or two of the men's huts in Plumli, near Hamak, there were still the human skulls of ancestors, respected ancestors, on shelves at the back of the Nakama. Because mm-hmm. uh, all this was being done uh, uh, under the eyes of the ancestors, right. literally, right. of their heads, their skulls were there on the thing. And those were there. Those were there, still there in 1973. Uh-huh. Uh, it was all done with great respect mm-hmm. uh, and very quiet. Mm. Um, because kava is not the thing that you slurp down just to get uh, yeah. uh, the effect. Uh, there's, a pers- there's a purpose to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Big Nambus area, uh, it's to do with uh, showing respect to the lineage of your chief mm-hmm. and showing respect to the ancestors mm-hmm. uh, there. And each culture in Vanuatu will have different right. ways mm-hmm. of uh, working with and thinking about uh, uh, kava. Mm-hmm. Uh, but kava mm-hmm. is a cultural force which is very, very important um, and has been uh, closely linked with peoples in Vanuatu for possibly, I don't know, at a guess. Mm. Some people have said maybe 2,500 years plus. Mm. But this is where it all began. Anyway, that will go on to some other things, but you might want to ask something yeah, after so that. I just wanted to firstly give the thanks to the people in the Big Namas yes. area in northwest Malakula yes. from my, my introduction to Kava in 1973. So that introduction has colored the way that I see kava mm. even today. For me, it's still a sacred drink mm. that is due uh, a lot of respect right. because it represents so many different things. Mm. Yeah, we, we'll have to come back to to your experience. So before I go to Jason, um, let's start with the question, what is kava? I mean, we're using that, that term or the name kava, obviously, in all the Pacific Islands, or the in the three different the subregions in the Pacific, they all have different names to it. But kava seems to be the you know synonymous name that we all use. So, what is kava? And uh, maybe jump to the second question. I know it's a bulk. Um, the origin of kava, if we can, kind of perhaps there's some stories that you have that. Um, could highlight or, you know, give us a little bit of a glimpse into it. Uh, Jason, over to you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, Look, um, uh, uh, each culture across the Pacific will have their own stories about the origin of kava. Mm. Uh, It's very interesting. And each culture around the Pacific 
almost always, not always, but almost always thinks that they are at the origin of karma. Yes, yes. Um, but what you find mm-hmm. when you go through all those hundreds and hundreds of different stories, you find that if you, on the edge of the stories, you often find the hint of a link to another culture or another mm-hmm. place. You follow all those stories back to an origin point, mm-hmm. you find that almost all the stories end up back in a series of areas in northern Vanuatu. Mm. And interestingly enough, that coincides with the modern-day scientific studies done on uh, the plant kava and its roots and its sort of uh, plant's genetic mm. DNA makeup. Mm-hmm. And they all sort of also go back to that same sort of area. Mm. So it's an interesting thing where uh, sort of culture and science sort of combine. And this particular area, look, there is actually a specific origin point, mm-hmm. for it, but I'm not allowed to say where. Okay. It's a taboo that I've kept ever since 1983 that uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 I was taken and I had to do sort of a, uh, some custom stuff and then yeah. taken to the place where everything started but I'm not allowed to say and I still mm-hmm. keep that uh, mm-hmm. that taboo there um, but it's interesting that everything does coincide with that particular area mm. um, and uh, the name Kava uh, first came into the English speaking world after Captain Cook's first expedition uh, in 1769 mm-hmm. when his people came, first came across Kava being used in Tahiti. And they visited other islands in the Pacific, over there in the Eastern Pacific and Central Pacific. And so, and there in those areas, the word Ava or Kava was oh, widely used. Okay. And Captain Cook and his people commented on that. And the word Kava caught on and became sort of the international word for mm. this uh, mm. rather wondrous uh, and very special plant mm. and drink. Mm-hmm. And so that's how the word came into the English speaking world through uh, Captain Cook's first expedition in 1769. Mm. And he wrote about it in his journals and the, and the publications and the books, uh, which were bestsellers at the time. Mm. Um, and that was, in a way, that was uh, the English-speaking world's introduction to the Pacific through Captain Cook's uh, publications. Um, but over in the Western Pacific, for example, um, Mary, in your area, uh, mm. Morocco, mm. Morocco. Yeah. Yeah, it's not called Kava, it's Morocco, mm-hmm. Morocco. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and the big Nambus area in northwestern Malakula, Namalakh, 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 good Kava. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, but down in Tana, in the interior of southwestern Tana, Nekawa, Nekawa, it is, you can see, you can see, that's the word Kava. Mm. In Polynesian languages, the term Kava or Ava tends to have a meaning associated with bitterness. It very often means bitter uh-huh. or acrid because the plant, the taste is sort of acrid because the thing is the plant is actually related to the pepper plant. Right. Um, um, going back to the plant itself, mm. um, interesting thing about the kava plant that people drink from across the Pacific, mm. its whole distribution across the Pacific is man-made. Okay. Long before, yeah. long before uh, the arrival of foreign explorers with modern compasses and 
uh, and all the and all that sort of stuff. Mm. You know, a long before any outsiders had gotten into the Pacific, it was just spread across the Pacific by Pacific Islanders themselves. Mm. Because the thing is, with <coughs> the, the the plant, the drinkable kava plant, it produces no flowers or seeds. It mm. can't spread itself naturally. Right, right. Uh, so. Uh, the only way that it can be spread, well, there's one other way. There's, if you leave a drinkable kava plant for maybe in the ground for maybe 40 years or so, mm. the weight of its branches will be such that the branches will bend down at the end and they stick into the ground and then another plant will grow from that and so on. And then the thing gets bigger and bigger and spreads that way. Mm. But that's very slow. But with the drinkable kava plant, the only way really to... Uh, spread it is you cut off the branches at, near the base, mm-hmm. and then you have a thing that's about you keep some branches about forty centimeters long. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you moisten the branches, you wrap them in special types of leaves that keep the moisture in, then you bind it, and you can take bundles of plantable branches like that uh, in your canoe, and you can go. And these they're still plantable for anything between ten to fourteen days after you've cut them. Mm-hmm. So that's how kava was spread across the Pacific, Hmm. but from an origin area in northern Vanuatu. And so from there, there, it was spread all the way to Tahiti, the Marquesas Islands, all all over the place, all over the place. It also went up up to Micronesia, Hmm. Ponape, places like that, uh, and into a couple of areas in Papua New Guinea. But there's a wild, non-drinkable type of kava, um, the Latin term for the wild, non-drinkable form is piper, that's pepper in Latin, wishmani. Wishmani, mm. I think, was related to the person who first described it uh, for, as a scientist. Piper wishmani. Piper wishmani is the wild form of kava, which does spread itself naturally. But the thing is, you can't make a drink from its roots. Mm. It's, it's too... <laughs> It's a bit tricky. Let's put it that way. It's a bit tricky. So you can't drink kava made from the roots of the, the piper wishmani. Mm-hmm. But what happened, it seems, uh, and piper wishmani, its natural area of growth, is across parts of the Western Pacific. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also you get it in the Indian Oceans. I remember Barry Waitman, mm-hmm. Barry Waitman, who used to look after the agriculture mm-hmm. in, in the condominium days and stuff. Uh, a at one time was working in the Comoros Islands in the Indian Ocean and he was really mm. surprised one day to find wild kava growing uh, in the interior of one of the islands in the Comoros Islands in the Indian Ocean. Mm. But that's the wild kava of the people of Wishmani mm. of, of various types. Mm-hmm. But what happened in Van- northern Vanuatu <coughs> was very interesting because somehow or other uh, many, many, many centuries ago these very, very savvy, wise, natural, traditional scientists in these cultures in northern Vanuatu found a way to get a plant derived, which they derived from the wild form of kava. Hmm. They managed to manipulate it in such a way that they developed new variants of the plant that had roots from which you could make a drink that you could actually drink mm-hmm. without damaging yourself. It took a long time, but there are ways to do it. And the thing is, 
Uh, and out of, then once they had finally developed a type of kava plant uh, from whose roots a drink could be made, they then went further and then started developing different varieties of it hmm. to get different types of tastes or different types of effects and things like that. And that's why today mm-hmm. Vanuatu has more subspecies or variants of kava than any other nation in the Pacific. East of Vanuatu, you've only got maybe, I don't know, 40 variants of kava, mm-hmm. possibly, mm-hmm. That's, that's a guess, uh, across the whole of the Pacific, east of Vanuatu. Mm-hmm. But in Vanuatu alone, you've got, I mean, what they used to say in the late 70s, early 80s, Vincent Lebeau and his people, I think, were saying, uh, the people out of the agricultural department at Tagabay, mm-hmm. uh, who were the specialists working on it at the time from the scientific point of view, and doing really good work. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said, I think they were saying something like the 75 or 85 varieties of kava mm-hmm. in the Venue Hebrides, or sorry, Vanuatu, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and stuff. But now, what they're doing is the, the, the names of the description types of the kava have sort of changed. Mm-hmm. But now, there's, it's sort of estimated that Vanuatu alone may have anything between 100 to 200 different varieties mm. of the plant. Mm. Because that's where it all started. Right. And yeah. so you've had a lot, you've had a lot more time to develop all these variants mm. uh, of the plant. Um, but you've got a split between the types of kava that uh, can be drunk on a regular basis in the evenings. Mm-hmm. Like Borogu, Borogu, Mellow Mellow, and all yeah. those sorts of different yeah. types, the yeah. regular ones that everybody knows about. Uh, uh, and then you've got the medicinal types. Uh-huh. And there's, there's a much larger number of different varieties mm-hmm. of medicinal types of kava, kava for particular types of medicine. And these include also medicine for women, particular types of things for women. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the... The last couple of decades or so, a few decades, where kava is being exported, the growers of kava tended to concentrate, have tended to concentrate on those types that can be drunk and easily grown. Hmm. Uh, and have sort of, to a certain extent, ignored yeah. the many, many different types of medicinal kava, which mm-hmm. are very important and need to be retained and need to be protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they actually have specific, many of them have specific uh, medicinal uses. Eh? Mm. Uh, there's also the other types, the two-day kava, two-day kava. The ones that there are types of kava that are very strong, and the reason they're called two-day kava is that <laughs> you can have a night out on one of them and you've still got the effects a couple of days later. You know? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are sometimes the two-day kava nowadays, nowadays the two-day kava is, is the term also used for the medicinal carvers. Mm. But there's, there's a, it, it's a very complex world out there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the thing is, the, the Latin term for the plant, for the, for the type of carver plant that you can drink from, the general term in Latin that Captain Cook's people gave to the drinkable form is piper um, methysticum, yeah. the dream-making pepper. Huh. Um, the original term they did was Piper inebriens, mm. uh, the, the, the pepper that makes you. But then they decided it's not really that because it's not. Really, it's a different type of drunkenness. Mm. 
so they changed it to Piper Methysticum in Latin, the, the dream-making pepper. So that's the official sort of term in Latin mm. for the plant from which the drinkable varieties come from in Latin. But each culture in Vanuatu will have its general name for cava, <laughs> and then will have specific names for the different types of varieties of cava in mm. it. Uh, in North Pentecost, you've got uh, quite a few yeah. uh, different names for different types of cava. I think many of the cultures in Vanuatu, each culture tends to have, um, this is as a sort of a guess, rough guess, about a dozen different varieties mm. uh, in, in their areas that people can drink. Uh, and then they've got all the medicinal ones. Mm. And the medicinal ones are really important, and they tend to be ignored uh, in the rush to development right. and modernization in Vanuatu, right. and mm. tend to be ignored by the outside world. Mm. But they're very important because... Um, look, there's some things one... you got got taboo, too. There, yeah. are things, there are some things about Kaaba that can't be spoken about in public. That's so true. I'm not going to speak about those. But mm. there's a kind of, some kinds of things that I should mention because I think it's really important for people in Vanuatu who might be listening to this. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are, hello, hello, you follow everyone. But I want to specifically sort of make a point of saying, look, all the kinds of kava, the different types of kava that you've got mm -hmm. that can be used for different types of medicines, please make sure that you continue to grow them because, and also, please make sure that you continue to grow the other kinds of kavas that can be drunk mm -hmm. because uh, if you concentrate too much on just the kava for export, yeah. then that, those types of kavas may take over. And if there's a kava sickness or a kava blight mm. uh, that comes in and it wipes out a particular type of kava, uh, then you need other types of kava around still existing, other varieties, so that you have backups and that you can also have the kind of planting cover material so that you can possibly recreate the type of the cover that has disappeared because of a, an illness of a sick blong, you know, because cover plants uh, can get diseases like humans, mm. you know. And there was, I think, just recently, there was something in one area of Vanuatu was a, a type of yeah. blight that was affecting the cover leaves up in, mm. up in the north somewhere. So those are sorts of things where you need you need a lot of different varieties of kava around mm -hmm. to protect the continuation of the whole family of kava. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's really it's really important stuff. I'll just read you a little thing that, but it has a spiritual aspect that uh, I fear that maybe many in the younger generation yeah. might not necessarily uh, think about, and also in which. Uh, um, particularly those overseas, because kava yeah. is becoming trendy now, it even is. in, uh, say, New York or wherever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, over where you are. Yes, how was is. your kava last night, Jason? Yeah, how was it? So, <laughs> um, so. Uh, but there, there, <laughs> there, there is a, there is a, uh, a spiritual side to it mm. that needs to be respected or at least remembered, mm. because it's not like beer or anything like that. I'll just read you a little thing about a... I wrote a whole series of articles... Mm. Uh, from Europe. I was living in the 1990s. I was living in Spain. Mm -hmm. um, but this was at a time when uh, uh, at a time when it was we're coming up to the time when suddenly Germany and all these countries decided to ban kava. Mm. So I got really, really concerned about that. And I started writing articles in a Spanish mm. uh, newspaper 
to try and make people aware that there was something that was going on against a sacred plant that was really useful for humanity mm-hmm. if the plant was could be protected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, let me just read you a short thing that I, was one, a short quote from one of the things that I wrote in 2002. This was in a Spanish newspaper. Uh, okay. Traditionally, this mm-hmm. is just a short paragraph from a whole series of articles. Traditionally, there was no alcohol in the Pacific Islands in the Pacific Islands. But Pacific Islanders had something better, a gift from the gods, from the spirits, mm-hmm. from the Mother Earth. It is spirit in plant form. It is peace. It is respect. It is harmony. It is sounds from the world of the ancestors. It is the way of prayer. It is, in some areas, woman. Mm-hmm. So therefore, changeable in mood, bestowing her favors mm-hmm. gladly one day, denying them the next. (laughs) It is, in some areas, man, Mm -hmm. and therefore forbidden for women. It is Mm -hmm. kava, the gift of the gods to the Pacific, and the gift of the Pacific to the world. And the thing, the reason that I was writing those articles, because at that time, this was published in 2002, uh, Germany was bringing in this ban against kava, Mm -hmm. and I felt that was a real insult to the Pacific, to Pacific cultures, uh, and they were, it seemed to me that they were trying to ban something that was really, really, really useful, mm-hmm. not just for the Pacific, but for the rest of the world, because at one level of analysis, one of the basic effects of kava is that it's a very, very effective natural remedy mm-hmm. against or for anxiety, stress, mm-hmm. and tension. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the major mm-hmm. <laughs> illnesses, I think, of the modern world. Mm-hmm. I mean, the modern world, where you go, is really stressed out. Right. It's really stressed out. Yeah. Much more now than yeah, much more by now. the time I, when I left, le- left, left England, when yeah. I left England in the 1970s to go out into yeah. the Pacific, uh, things were still pretty relaxed in England mm-hmm. at that time, you know. Mm-hmm. But now in England and Europe and mm-hmm. Australia and the U.S. US and all those places, yeah. they're really stressed out. They re- and they really need cover. Mm-hmm. They really need cover because it's the best thing that they could have. Mm. You know, if done in, in the proper way. Yes. You know, because it's natural and it's a very effective thing against anxiety, stress, and tension. Yeah. Also, it's a, it's, a rather, it's a rather effective slimming agent. You'll notice that the, the most regular cover drinkers out in the Pacific uh, at least in Vanuatu, the heaviest drinkers tend to be very, 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 very thin. <laughs> Sometimes a bit too thin. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's a very effective. High, uh, as one good advert for it says, high in fiber and low in sodium. Well, yes. How good can it get? You know. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so I was going to ask uh, Jason to tell us. Uh, I mean, you know, this is obviously contrasting the two. Um, stories of your first experience uh kirk and now jason would you tell us um your first experience because you obviously and how you got introduced to cover um kirk being from england and you being from the united states and we obviously i'm I'm speaking to two men from outside from um, the place where cover comes from but you know um they obviously have come to love cover and as we are talking today about uh, the plant cover, 
the spiritual sides of it, the cultural aspects of it, which we'll touch later on. But I think it's also important to speak about the experience, especially uh, someone who, from outside coming in and, and in being introduced to it and understanding a little bit deeper and what has that meant for them. So we have on um, coming to the mat is um, Mr. Jason Sovic, um, who served in Peace Corps. Uh, for three years, and he will tell us a little bit about what was your experience like. So you're, I mean, I think you're gonna. I wish my first experience was like Kirk's, but yes, that's not that's how it happened for me. Uh, in 1995, I arrived in Port Vila in Vanuatu. And my only connections there were other Peace Corps volunteers. And there was a certain other Peace Corps volunteer who, his name is Tony, and he had been in Vanuatu for a couple of years already and well acquainted with Kava. And he invited me and another friend to go drink Kava. And, um, you know, I was a little bit apprehensive at first because... I'm like a product of the United States growing up in the eighties and in America, alcohol widely available and totally accepted as, you know, normal and a part of life. But at that time, other drugs were very shunned or, um, you know, you should be scared of anything but alcohol. That's kind of the message I got growing up. And so when I arrived in Vanuatu and they were like, there's this thing. I'm like, what does it do? And the only way that I could get described to me was it makes you high. And I was like, mm, okay, um, I guess I'll try this. And so I went and uh, people are going to laugh because if you're familiar with Port Vila. The place I went to is called Ronnie's Nakamal. It's in number two, in a, which is like an area in Port Vila. And um, my friend Tony, who was a, another volunteer, uh, he had been stationed in Malakula, and, which is an island in Vanuatu. And, and he was very familiar with all the families and people from Malakula. And so uh, the first time I ever had kava, um, sitting across me was uh, a man named Ralph Reganbanu, who is a guy from Malakula. And he's an MP now, member of parliament in Vanuatu. And I guess, you know, I just, I tried my first shell and, and um, I found it to be like very, uh, it's like Kirk said, it's, a, it's not like beer, um, very sort of, um, relaxing and contemplating and it's a wonderful, um, experience. And I, and I'm not really somebody who comes from a place where, um, you know, drugs are free flowing and everybody does that around me or anything like that. 
So I kind of place Kava in a different category from all of that. It's not really, uh, um, it's not really a sort of thing you do to, you know, escape reality. In fact, I find Kava to be, and one of the things I really liked about what I discovered about Kava was the social aspect to it. Mm-hmm. and how you can spend time with other people and have conversations and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but what I always say about kava is you could be having the worst day of your life and you have a couple shows of kava and it's all of a sudden one of the great days of your life. Hmm. Well, it's a, <laughs> two very, yeah. Yeah, two very interesting contrast of uh, um, experience, but but I think what I'm what I'm getting here is is the setting of it and the cultural aspects of it. I, I guess those are the things that uh, I want to touch on a little bit. Like Kirk, your first experience was very much in that. Like you were saying, it's the drink of the ancestors or giving respect to the ancestors. And then fast forward how many years, and then here comes a volunteer. You know, a UN as a young anthropologist. Um, and uh, studying, you know, human behaviors and all that to Malakula, obviously. Um, and then here comes Jason later on in the 90s. And he's sitting at Anakama, which now in a setting in in town in Port Vila. Still going today, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Um, in Kirk, what yes, I, that's really interesting. Mm, yeah, mm. yeah. There's uh, some interesting points to make there. Thank you, Jason, for that. Mm. Well, you mentioned Ronnie's. Yeah, well, I suddenly my, I started to salivate. I, my throat started to twist. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's Kava from Southwest Bay and <laughs> Malakula. Yeah, there's all, all my Southwest Bay. Yeah. Yes, number one, we're number one, we're number one. I remember. Uh, I think Ronnie's was the first Nakamal in Vila to actually introduce a TV into the inside the uh, the place where you serve the kava. <laughs> yeah, so there you oh, go. Gosh, yeah. How's that? How's that uh, for? Good days. How's that for? Experience? Yeah, my gosh. Yeah. Well, well look, look. I tell you, this actually brings up a really interesting point. Mm-hmm. Now, because, for example, nowadays, and when Jason arrived, it's easy mm-hmm. to to drink kava in Vila. Mm-hmm. When I first arrived in the then New Hebrides in 1973, mm. uh, you couldn't get kava in Vila. Mm. It had been sort of, not officially banned, but it was sort of denigrated by the missionaries, except for the Catholics. <laughs> Most of the Catholic mm. missionaries, were, the men, were drinking it. Yeah. You know, but the Presbyterians and the Anglicans tended, uh, at least the white ones, tended to uh, not be too keen on it. And the condominium <laughs> government yeah. uh, tended to look upon it as a bit hygienic and stuff. Oh, um, mm-hmm. But also, there were no kava nakamals in right. Vila at that time. Right. Right. So if you wanted to drink, you had to make special arrangements to get bring kava roots in from the islands, mm-hmm. or you had to go out to the islands mm-hmm. to drink it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could drink it over in North Afate and oh. Nuna, Pele, mm-hmm. uh, Tongoa and stuff, okay, but not in... Not in Vila. Uh, Vila was very different in those days. Uh, when I first arrived, 1973, there were only 3,000 people in mm. Vila. Mm. Only 3,000 people. And even so, I mean, it was uh, 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 also very... I can remember on my first full day in Vila, I'd met a family from one of the northern islands, mm. 
husband and wife and uh, several children. Uh, they were from Pentecost. Hmm. And so I invited them down to the Hotel Rossi for, uh, for a meal. Hmm. And, uh, uh, and I asked them, if, they, if the husband, if he wanted some wine with the meal. And he said, yes, yes, please, yeah, number one. Yeah. And then so I, I ordered some, some wine. And then the people at the Hotel Rossi said, sorry, but we can't serve, uh, uh, we can't serve wine to uh, New Hebrideans. Wow. Uh, and I said, oh, what? Yeah. Uh -huh. So I said, well, we're not going to, we're not going to be eating here, so walked out, you know. Anyway, uh, uh, well, that was 1973. Hmm. Um, and what happened was, as time went on, I remember noticing that uh, uh, by about 1977, 76, 77, you were beginning to get a situation in Vila where... After payday, many Nibanamatu, New Hebridean men, the men would go out and get drunk. And there was each year you'd get more and more, each payday you'd get more and more fighting. And very often on the the morning after payday, if you went around the back streets and really you'd see bodies lying all over the place, sort of sleeping by the side of the road and stuff like that, you know. Uh, people sleeping off the alcohol thing. Right. And then you had the events of November the 29th. 1977, mm. when there was the, uh, it's now called Unity Day, but the mm. actual original time in 1977 was not a unity thing. It was, uh, it was, uh, this was when the, um, the Vanuaku Party supporters were marching from Mele Village to the Vanuaku Party office in, just opposite where Fung Kwe is, mm. in a building just, well, nearly opposite, um, to raise the Vanuaku Party flag. And the Modéré, um, the opposition parties, uh, mm -hmm. uh, had been uh, gathering to counter that march. Mm -hmm. And they'd been, some of them had been drinking a lot of red wine. Shall we, 44 gallon, yeah. The French red wine and stuff like that. And they were all waiting. And it was a bit of a, bit of a tricky day, I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. I was there, I saw it all. And mm -hmm. actually filmed a bit of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the day when there was some tear gas and things mm -hmm. like that and stuff. Now it's called Unity Day because people who were there can think back and said, well, that was a day when there wasn't, the original day when there wasn't unity, uh, but it has now become a day which represents, you know, we think about mm -hmm. the importance of unity. Mm -hmm. But it was, I think, after that event, or maybe just beforehand, Father Walter, Father Walter Lingi, mm -hmm. uh, and some of the uh, other people in the Vanuaku party mm. got together and they spe made a specific t decision mm. to bring Kava into the capital uh, because right. they said Kava brings peace and mm. respect mm -hmm. and we need to bring Kava into the capital mm -hmm. to bring peace and respect and mm -hmm. we need to cut down the use of alcohol mm -hmm. and so that's when the move to, uh, that later developed into all these Kavanakamals in Vila right. started. Right. In late 1977. Mm -hmm. And the first Nakamal, I think, was uh, Maliudu Nakamal, Ye out yes. in Tagabay. Was it uh, Binihi yeah, Nakamal? from North Pentecost. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. this was before Binihi. Oh, Binihi, okay. Yeah, yeah, it was called Maliudu. Binihi, I may also say, I may say, I may say, Binihi, I may say, Bikini Blong Maliudu. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, because yes. what happened was Maliudu opened first, uh -huh. 
and then not to be out there, the people in the southern islands thought, hey, man, south here, north, I'll get that, I'll get the uh, down long north, only stop winning yeah. so they, they, people of Chinese opened a car in Nakamal uh-huh. out at, uh, I think it was number three, on the road towards, uh, 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 towards the Hotel of Lagrange. It was pla- there was a place called the uh, Flamingo Club. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they opened a Cavernacamal behind that. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, there were a lot of potential Cava drinkers in Vila at that time, <laughs> and only two Nakamals. <clears throat> and so if you wanted to get in the Cava, you had to arrive early and queue, you know. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, so uh, mm-hmm. anyway, uh, what happened was um, <clears throat> in Maliudu, uh-huh. They, uh, uh, Maliudu, I mean, the Binihi family were there in Maliudu, yeah. but they hadn't, they didn't have their own separate Nakamal at that time, right mm-hmm. at the beginning. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, then, uh, what happened if the queue outside of Maliudu was too long? Mm-hmm. You tried to find some transport and you'd rushed out to the Tanese Nakamal, and if the queue there was long, mm-hmm. You had to wait even longer because the Tannies were still in the situation where uh, they had a, a small group of Tannese men who would chew the kava, oh. and then they, you know, you would you, you would go to this little place and there yeah. was a little wooden window. You'd knock on the window and they open the window, oh. and they'd say how many shells or how many mouths, yeah. and you'd say okay two ah. and stuff, and then you put the money through the window, <laughs> and then uh, you'd you'd wait and then your shells would come out. But you, oh. if you looked. If you turned your head, sort of looking through the window, yeah. you could see this sort of line of in the dark room there. This line of men sort of chewing away. <laughs> and the thing is, I think yeah, they they got really tired by the end of the <laughs> evening. You know, I was going to uh, say. So, <laughs> so you uh, have, uh, you have, I mean, yeah, you have one. Yeah, the Chinese Nakamal. It, 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 went, it was very successful, but I think yeah. it eventually chewed its way out of existence because <laughs> the chewer just got too tired. But, <laughs> but so you had one, you know, maybe it's a good example of the cultural practices of kava, you know, so you had the Chinese people chewing yeah. and then you had the people from yeah. Pentecost, basically Bozizi, uh, using the grinder of, you know, the limestone. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So those, yeah. you know, those yeah, two yeah, different... Yeah. And, 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 and then know. people started pounding it and things like that, yes. you know, in a... Yes. In a, in a, in a in a in a pipe or something like that. Right. But at first it was all done really, you know, oh and it was goodness. done with respect and everything like that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I mean, I can yeah. remember. Ah, and then Binihi Nakamal grew out of that. Mm-hmm. Ah, there were some good times there. But yes. I, I mean, <laughs> you it, remember one time yeah. when, when Binihi was celebrating its 10th anniversary uh-huh. and it said, uh, f- f- put out a tok toki go around say, free kava to all our regular customers, sort mm-hmm. of thing, you know. So, man, we've got everyone really lying, you know. <laughs> um, but <laughs> there were so many people queuing up outside of uh, in Binihi for its 10th anniversary uh, uh, free, free uh, session. Uh-huh. Uh, that uh, you know, we, we just kept going around in a circle. This line of maybe a hundred people just oh kept going goodness. around. We'd we'd go to the thing, pick up our shell, drink, uh, spit, and then move on in the same circle without getting out of the circle. Oh, and then come around, and by the time you uh, time you came around again to the place to get the kava, it was time for another shell. But I can remember waking up the next day, uh-huh. still in my clothes, uh, <laughs> and uh, I've been and luckily I've been wearing my. Burberry's raincoat, which I still use, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a genuine Burberry's raincoat. Is it covered uh, in, and down covered the back with... of the yeah, 
Yeah, covered with cava spit in the back. That's <laughs> when the person behind me. <laughs> so obviously, the person in front of me probably had you know cava spit down his legs or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> the back of his legs. Ah, but really good days. Really good days. Um, and the thing is, very interesting. Mm -hmm. The introduction of cava into Vila. Now, very often you'll get maybe wives who will complain and say, oh, oh yeah. my husband's spending too much time there at the Nakamal. But, but in a way, luckily, lucky that Carver's there. Mm -hmm. Because if Carver wasn't there, you know, all the men would be out drinking and yes. sort of beating, uh, uh, um, and beating up their, their friends and stuff like that once they got angry. And then, running, and then with the alcohol, making them run around and chase other people's wives. With, but, that, you know, with, yeah. with, with Kava, the effects are very, very different. Yeah. So, but I was going <laughs> to say, I was going to say then. Very uh, peaceful, very yeah. peaceful. I was going to yeah. say, though, Kirk. So, Kirk, so Kirk can, I, can I ask you a question real quick? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So, what do you what do you think the effects of because because I have had a more traditional experience with kava because I'm married to a woman from North Pentecost. I've been in Nakamal and you know a very traditional experience with kava, not as extreme as what you described, but um, a very traditional experience with kava, and but. But most of my experiences are more like a social affair. So, what what do you, what do you think? Are I mean, I get what you mean by the social um, effects of say, you know, I'm glad that you know men can drink kava instead of alcohol. I get that totally. We see that here in America for sure. <clears throat> the effects of alcohol. I mean, but um, like, what do you think the effects of the switch or the, the transition from Kava being a more traditional or res uh, maybe respected isn't the right word, but you get what I mean, like a traditional sort of thing versus like a social sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a really good question, Jason. There's a, there was a lot of debate about that in, in Vila in the late 70s and early 80s because there was there were certain people who uh, were, were not too supportive of the idea of drinking easily in situations in Vila and stuff like that. So there was a lot of debate and there were a lot mm. of the radio programs about it mm. and things like that. Um, uh, there was a, oh, I'd like at this time to pay respect to a, a deceased person that a lot of people in Vila will remember, Charlo Longwa, who had the Carver store. Yes. Um, in Vila. Yeah. From the late 70s, he was one of the main people who was actually promoting the commercial side of Kava to help get money back to the islands mm. and stuff like that. And he was very influential in providing uh, a, 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 a road through which people from the outer islands could send Kava to Vila, it was processed and then sold, the money could go back to the islands and things like that. But he was also uh, very, very uh, he had a lot of insight into a lot of a lot of good things, did Charlo. And look, he was very helpful to a lot of things. I remember when we were organizing uh, under under the leadership of Godwin Ligo, mm -hmm. um, the first National Arts Festival it was held in Vila in December of 1979. And the Arts Festival office was just behind. It was a new office that we'd built at the old cultural center down in the center of town in between the Hotel Rossi and the taxi rank. Mm. Uh, that office had been built, built 
especially just next to my old office there. My old office is where, where Healthwise Pharmacy is. Yeah, now. yeah, I remember uh, that. Mm-hmm. People tell people tell me people tell me. Uh, Oh, Kirk, your office where there used to be lots of massing, nakemasu, and cigarettes freely available and everything like that. Now, all you stop selling condom or aspirin, Rob, for you. And I said, what? <laughs> so I, I, I went down after they opened, I went down and I said, hey, you, are you people selling, you finally stop selling condom or aspirin? <laughs> and, and the girls in the Housewives Pharmacy said, what? You know, anyway, sorry, I'll get that. But anyway, um, look, the, uh, at the back of where the Housewives Pharmacy is, and his back was that was where the uh, first National Arts Festival office was, and Godwin yeah. was in charge of that. Mm-hmm. Charlotte Longwa volunteered, and he was part of the team. Mm-hmm. He was there every day, and really, it was a really busy time. Mm-hmm. Really, and Janet, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, there were some really good people in that office. And there, there, there was a door between my office and and that office, and the door was open, and people going back and forth all the time, because after the arts festival. After the first National Arts Festival in December 1979, the office was closed for a short time and then reopened with a new painting on the top of the door or something as the Independence Office, mm. as the central office for organizing all the independence celebrations in 1980 and stuff like that. And Godwin was in charge of that office as well. And the door was still open between my office and that office. And so really busy times. Huh? Um, and... Uh, well, why did I get onto that? What's this got to do with Carver? Um, <laughs> um, uh, Jason, how did I get onto that? Uh, let me see. How, how did uh, how did Carver become so social versus like custom? Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, um, one of the things during um, the time there was it was a promotion. There was a also a cultural promotion of Kava mm-hmm. during the first National Arts Festival. A cultural promotion of Kava aspects of independence. Because the things were, as we all know, there was a, a pretty, pretty tricky situation mm-hmm. uh, in the lead-up to independence. You know, them all fellow Jimmy, more Mandelheim, down on North, yeah? yeah. And uh, all that sort of stuff. And uh, uh, things got pretty tense. And so there was this idea that... Uh, Okay, you've got to keep alcohol to a minimum because alcohol can make people fight. So you promote kava for peace, mm. for peace. I mean, I can remember after the um, <laughs> the original November the 29th, 1977 thing, uh, the troubles there, uh, the condominium government actually banned alcohol, all alcohol in the capital for a period of time after that. Mm. Um, and so the alcohol drinkers who mostly, uh, you know, uh, well, I mean, there were some really heavy drinkers around, expats, um, uh, but we're having a hard time. So the, to serve those people, Hotel Rossi opened a secret bar in the evenings. Huh? Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to drink alcohol during the lockdown, uh, uh, um, you'd go to the Hotel Rossi desk in the evening and uh, you'd say, ah, uh, room... Uh, uh, r- room seven, please, and they'd say to you, "Oh, room seven is in room twenty tonight, or something like that." And so you go into uh, room twenty, <laughs> and you'd open the door, and the room would be packed with drinkers there, and there's smoke, and you'd have to sort of cut your way through the smoke with your hand to get to the place where you could have your wine or beer or whatever it was that you were drinking and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But then, <clears throat> uh, and that's where all the that was that was very interesting enough. 
that was the only place in Vila at the time where the British and the French actually got together, because at that time the tension between the British and the French was, you could cut it with a knife, it was so mm -hmm. sharp. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but the, the heavy drinkers amongst the British and the French got together in this secret bar in the Hotel Rossi that changed rooms every night mm -hmm. in the Hotel Rossi. Because you know, if you were in the next night, you say, oh, uh, room seven, please. And they'd say, oh, tonight it's in room uh, four. You know, mm. so <clears throat> they did that to avoid being. Uh, uh, you call that a speakeasy? It's called. It's called. Yeah, speakeasy. Yes, yes. It was like I'll tell you, yeah. Jason. It was like some of those old films that you see. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you yep. go in this secret door. You give a you give a secret knock, and the door opens, and there's all this cigarette yeah. smoke, and you cut your way through the smoke with the hand. It's a wild uh, yeah, west, just like huh? that, yeah. 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 Yeah, but anyway, that was it's actually served a rather interesting purpose. Mm. Uh, people were drunk an awful lot because they know that the bar had to close at 10 o'clock in the evening. Mm. And then they would let people out sort of one by one. Because you couldn't, you couldn't suddenly let all these drunk people out onto the street of Vila at 10 o'clock at night all in one piece. And so they started going out of the door at about 10 o'clock. You know, two would go out and then five minutes later another two would crawl out mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it actually served a good purpose because... Some of the attempts at peace discussions between the British and the French sides at that time were done mm. in that speakeasy, in that, in that alcohol room at that time, because it was the only place where the British and the French could get together in an atmosphere where at least it was, you know, you, you, you couldn't just sit there because people were all in there like sardines in a can, you know, mm. what are you fast, fast, what are you fast, fast, huh? mm. smoking mm. and drinking as quick as they could. Huh? Mm. Um, but outside, um, you know, I mean, they didn't ban Kava. By that mm. time, Kava was to... I think Maliudu hadn't opened then at that mm. time. Um, but the, the, the Kava was brought in to keep peace. Yeah. And look, in general, yeah. look, Port Vila is the only capital in the Pacific where the consumption of alcohol has actually gone down since independence. Mm. You know, And I think one of the reasons why Vanuatu is still such a relatively peaceful country. Mm. It's got a lot to do with the wisdom of the cultures in Vanuatu, traditional cultures, mm. uh, and kava. Right. Because kava is a pacifier. Mm. Yeah, it's a, a pacifier from the Pacific. Right. Um, and and it's, it's very effective. It's right. very effective because with strong kava, you might have noticed this, Jason, is that, uh, you know, in a kava nakamal, you might be sitting next to your uh, biggest political enemy, yeah. but by the time you get to your third show, he's your best friend. <laughs> so, so that's why I wanted sort to have thing. I wanted to have Jason on because I wanted to um, you know learn from two people who have experienced. Since I don't drink, and I'm from North Raga, you're not supposed to drink as a woman. And being in the Nakamal and having that experience, so as you said, it is a, a pacifier, but you had said something in a, uh, and also had talked about Kavar is a representative of peace, respect, and story on or dialogue. Um, so when you get everybody together, you get two enemies together, then you throw in kava in there, and then you know, you're uh, after two, two, three shell. You're sitting there. Have you, have you experienced seeing that um, in your time yeah. there, having you know two people, especially during before the independence? 
the tensions. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. It's really, it's it's really interesting. Mm. It's it's it, it, the way that I see it is that drinking kava in a in a proper atmosphere, mm. either in traditional Nakamal in the islands, mm. or in one of the more uh, you know. Situations in Vila, mm. it's I see it as a very uh, sophisticated way to end the day. You know, you end it peacefully and quietly, and and uh, yeah, you, you you don't see people arguing in mm. a in a cavernacama. Right. Yeah, but right. you see people arguing in bars, alcohol bars, right. and things like that. But you don't right. see people arguing in a nakama. Hmm. Uh, if they are arguing, you know that the cow is not very good, so you go to the next nakama. Right. <laughs> so it's yeah. definitely uh, it's because, definitely uh, a yeah, gift yeah, from the yeah. gods, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. is it is a pacifier, and that's why in so many other cultures in the Pacific, it's actually mm. used as a pacifier. You know, just to, mm. to you drink, you make a peace treaty, and you mm. you you sign it with kava drinking. Yeah. And stuff like that. You know, it's all it's all yeah yeah yeah. Well, you, it's you, all interlinked. I mean, yeah. and. Yeah, yeah. You even yeah. open a several... Well, Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if I could just throw in, I mean, I, I, so I, as a Peace Corps volunteer, was thrown into a situation where I was teaching at a school and I was given my own house, so I was living alone, and I did not have a lot of friends around me or anything like that. And I found myself extremely bored. I mean, I would go home at the end of the day of work with nothing to do. And there was, at that time, no TV. And I could listen to my tapes and music over and over again. It was just really boring. And so I found myself trying to figure out, like, what can I do after work is done? Because this is so boring. And um, so I ventured down to the local Nakamal, the Cabo Bar, uh, closest to school. And what a pleasant experience because you have a couple shells and it's, it's totally social and everybody's, you know, everybody there's interested in talking to you or, you know, just talk about the weather or whatever. There's no fights going on like you might have in a bar. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just a really, really pleasant experience. Yeah. Everybody leaves to go home. And, you know, hey, good night. Nice to meet you. It's yeah. a very nice experience. Yeah, that is uh, that, that is a very, very good analysis of that. Of you know, making that painting that picture of imagine having that here. Um, what that would be like having a. Democrat and a Republican going at each other and give them some cover. <laughs> what what would be that yeah. like at the end of the yeah, yeah. the night? Yes, I mean I can. Yes, you're you're absolutely spot on there, Jason and and Mary. The, mm-hmm. I can remember a situation in Vila in the early '80s when news was reaching us of increasing tensions between, say, the U.S. and Russia. And I can mm-hmm. remember sitting down one evening. Uh, one day with Chief Willy Bong Matur, mm-hmm. uh, the president, the then president, uh, the late Chief Willy Bong Matur, mm-hmm. the then president of the Malfatamari National Council of Chiefs, mm-hmm. and some other chiefs, and we were actually discussing about a, the possibility of trying to organize for a gift mm-hmm. from Vanuatu of a container load of good quality kava roots to be sent to both Moscow <laughs> and Washington. <laughs> with the instructions as to how to make the cover 
and how that they should get together, each side should get together with the other side and just drink kava for yeah. a week together yeah. uh, and then sort out their differences. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, that uh, that project never really uh, advanced very much. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, in, in seriousness, can you imagine that? I mean, now people are drinking it. Uh, I've talked to the ambassador, and she, you know, he ambassador to the UN uh, for Vanuatu, and that's what he gets to meet people, you know, and people who are going to the Nakama. And he says, "There's not only one. There's so many of them." Um, you know, Nakama in terms mm-hmm. of the however that they describe it over here and the settings of it and everything. But he just says, you know, it's one of those things where you go and you meet people and you talk about everything under the sun, whatever that you can talk about. But it's that coming together and and just, you know, visiting with each other and talking about anything pretty much. So if that's happening in New York, I think um, it is something that the gift of the Pacific to the world Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe what they should do is just turn the whole United Nations UN building into into a giant Nakamal. That would that would solve all the problems. That would solve yeah. all the problems. That would solve all the problems. Yeah. Put, yeah. put an electric light outside of the front door, and when the car was ready, you just switch on the light. That, you know. Yes. I support that idea 100%. Yeah, and just just yeah, yeah. yeah and just said yeah. that. Wouldn't, you know, wouldn't that be good? Huh? That that would be good. <laughs> so let's talk about yeah. some of the traditional aspects of it because we haven't touched yet on like some of the. I know you've begin with that, you know, for me that setting of you being in that space of how you had to crawl on your knee to drink, which is that's the uh ceremonial um practices for them. Um what are some of the traditional practices in in maybe we start with Vanuatu at the Pacific and make our way to um Vanuatu that are very similar because I think that cover in some ways it's like you know how you would trace um uh the migration of Pacific people, right? So just like the language, I would also imagine having a plant like cover that have been like you said in your beginning, opening statement that it's a plant that it's been transplanted by people, basically. So would you say that in in a way of how you know someone can look at um the different parts of the Pacific and how kava has been transplanted and how it's been it, it's been used let's look at the traditional practices of it are they very similar across all across the Pacific Micronesia um Melanesia and Polynesia and how come there's some of the islands uh, that don't have the practice of kava Yeah, I think the Maori in New Ze- in Aotearoa and New Zealand mm. don't have kava. You know, I mean, mm. so, sorry, law get that. Mm. You know, uh, life must be rough out there. But I guess now they've got it because they've got people from all over the Pacific living right. there and right. bringing it in. But uh, yeah, kava is a is a is a great traveler if you know mm. how to pack the roots, sorry, mm. the branches, and and travel with it traditionally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it was also a great trade attractor. Attractor, because in the old days, uh, hundreds of years ago, you used to get giant trading canoes from Tonga that would come regularly to this big island that then existed north of Fati, the island of Kuai. Oh, okay. The island of Kuai, which no mm. longer exists because right. it blew up, it exploded yeah. mm-hmm. in one of the world's largest volcanic eruptions of the last 10,000 years. Right. And it blew up and exploded, mm-hmm. I think, five or six hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And that blocked the mm-hmm. Kava trade routes. 
mm-hmm. between central Vanuatu and that part of the western, that part of the central Pacific, mm-hmm. uh, represented by Tonga, mm-hmm. uh, because the it, it took so long for the area to to uh, uh, recover. I mean, yeah. it was a massive eruption. Yes. Uh, and the islands of Tongoa and the Shepherds are the remnants of that larger island, mm. Kauai. Mm-hmm. Kauai. People forget that there was this really big island there, Kauai. Yes. And, uh, I remember um, old Chief Kareem Kausakau telling me, Kauai, him, 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 big one, blow him. Yeah. Big one, blow him. Yeah. You know. uh, so they would uh, come and, and trade. Tongan canoes used yeah. to come to, yeah, to come to get the kava because they knew in Tonga, they knew the best kava was there. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting that the traders on Kauai mm. obviously didn't want to give out the, the best one. The, the best ones. <laughs> yes. What they tend to? I mean, I can I can remember. <laughs> I remember one old chief uh, telling me years ago uh-huh. we were talking about uh-huh. this sort of stuff, mm. uh, uh, the trading of of kava roots and things like that, yeah. uh, uh, and. Uh, one chief in, up in the northern central islands telling me about the canoes that would come. It wasn't just to Kauai, but there were other areas that they mm. would come to asking for a kava. And so one would, of the chiefs the said, king, yes. Would the king of Tonga be sending them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think they, they, were, they were trying to... They was, uh, for the Tongan stuff, they wanted to provide kava. There was special kava that, for the royal family. Ah, for the royal family, you know. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, I remember one of the, the chiefs up in one of the Northern Islands mm-hmm. talking about those days long before mm-hmm. when the canoes used to come, saying that uh, we had big discussions because they were asking for all the sorts of kava, uh, but we didn't want to give them the best stuff. Right. So basically what he said, we just gave them the cheap vari- varieties. Um, you know, the, 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 we gave the, mm-hmm. the, the, the types of kava that wouldn't interfere with our, uh, how can I put it? With our control of the best, the best right. types of, of kava, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Kirk, yeah. when when yeah. they do that, so uh, so that was that mm. that was a sort of a thing that was going on mm. for for a, a long time until the trade route sort of blew um, up. Blew up. Yeah, yeah. Literally, yeah. literally blew up. Yeah. 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 So when when they were trading, were they were, were they okay? So because you had mentioned one time that you know the Pacific was basically like what the internet is today, where people would you know go and trade and did all of that. So obviously, kava was one of them. So when they were trading kava, because it's obviously a very very special commodity, um, did they have anything that they would have to trade in in, in exchange that it was the same value? Uh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to think about that, mm. uh, or listen to some old, uh, look through some old notes or something like that. I'm just trying to think what they would trade in exchange. It might have been ritual stuff. Mm. Uh, um, there's a thing. Um, there's also a link with, uh, w- w- I think, down with Tanner, mm-hmm. because uh, 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 the important thing with Carver, for example, on Tanner mm. is that Carver. The use of kava, uh, traditionally on Tana, the drinking of kava by uh, adult men is a ritual daily obligation oh. in, in the evening. Yeah. They start drinking a little bit earlier there on Tana, you know. Mm. Uh, to put it into Port Vila sort of terms, if you start drinking at 5 o'clock in Vila, well, on Tana you'd start drinking at about 4 o'clock, yeah, yeah. so to speak. And so they start a bit earlier. Mm. But there, because they have a ritual obligation. Okay. There, because kava is the way on Tana mm. through which you 
pass prayers to the other world. Okay. To the non-material world, to right. the spirit world. Right. And there's a way to do it. Mm. And there's a special word used for it. I won't use the word right. in uh, in a public broadcast yeah. or anything like that. But mm-hmm. there's a special word used on Tana, which is, mm-hmm. uh, and it means prayer. Mm-hmm. And it means prayer. Yeah. And this so, is how, and they use Kava. Mm-hmm. Kava is essential for getting those prayers to where those prayers are supposed to go. If you want to pray for rain mm. or sun or mm. pig fertility or human fertility mm. or, 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 or whatever, mm. Kava is the way you, 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 don't do think they, you don't think they figured out that they wanted pigs? Oh, you mean for, uh, they for want, the pigs, you know, trading it for pigs? Yeah. Well, it could be. Well, the thing is, I think Vanuatu was tended to be the place where people came to get pigs as well. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. 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 Oh. yeah, just to give an example, look, yeah. look, Tana was jam-packed full of pigs to such a big extent mm. that in the year 1865 alone, mm-hmm. 5,000 pigs were exported from Tana mm-hmm. to Australia. Really? In 1865, 5,000 pigs just wow. in one year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. So, I mean, pigs were... Yeah. have been around in Vanuatu from the year sort of dot, so to speak. You know, some might okay. say even before humans sort of thing, you know, uh, oh. or we came from pigs. Uh, oh, yeah. That's another ball game. Uh, yes. You talk about what's the origin of humans. Yes. Well, there's some places that were, um, for example, on Tana, the first attempt at creation of humans resulted in the type of hairless pig on Tana, which we call Kepuya, or Puku Kepuya. Mm. It's a hairless pig. Mm. And the creator god who did that then saw them and said, oh, uh, humans aren't working out too well. You know, I guess the Bugu Kepuya's table manners were not necessarily too good. So yeah. then uh, the creator God decided to make a second attempt at making humans, and boom, we turn up, our human ancestors, the Tannese human ancestors. Um, and uh, so, uh, uh, but the, the Tannese, traditional Tannese, will still look upon the hairless type of pig which is very rare on Tana, but still exists, as first attempt at creating humans. We are sort of like the humans, human humans, are sort of like the, the younger brother of, <laughs> of the oh, pigs. Of you know. the pig. We're the second attempt at so, creation. That's, so, that's the Chinese thing, you know. Mm. So, uh, yeah. I wanted to go back. Uh, but anyway, anyway, go mm. back to the... Oh, sorry, 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 Mary. Uh, sorry, Jason, but just before I believe Tana, mm-hmm. um, there's a link there because, look, for example, yeah. into when they crowned the new king of Tonga, yeah. um, they did a very ancient ceremony mm-hmm. there, which was reserved for this sort of time, mm-hmm. when they did a kava ritual mm-hmm. for the uh, um, uh, connected with. Mm-hmm. the longevity of the r- ruler and all that sort of stuff, a very traditional ritual that's only done basically at these times when there's a new king on Tonga. Mm-hmm. And the word they use in their language for that ritual is this, uh, with kava, mm-hmm. for that ritual on Tonga, is almost exactly the same word that they use on Tana mm-hmm. for the word prayer in their language. Wow. So there's an interesting sort of uh, connections, connections mm-hmm. there. I mean, there were, mm-hmm. there were canoes from Tonga that we used to come down to mm-hmm. to uh, to Tana, mm-hmm. uh, Aero. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a in uh, in uh, Futuna. Futuna. Yeah. They speak mm-hmm. Polynesian that is very much mm-hmm. like uh, Wallace Futuna, uh, Samoa Tonga Polynesian, but, but 
from maybe five, six, seven, eight, or nine hundred years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, the Tongans used to come down, or canoes from mm. up there in the central Polynesia used to come down. They used to get wives from Futuna. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they still owe some. They still owe some yam. I think the Tongans still owe some yams. They still but do. There yes. There are certain things though that the the canoes. Ah, yes. Here's this. What the canoes gave in uh-huh. exchange in the southern islands were uh-huh. often uh, aspects of rituals, mm. which, interestingly enough, have died out in Tonga now, right. but continue in a modified form on Tana to a okay. certain extent. Certain types of things associated with certain types of rituals. I won't say what they mm. are, but uh, anyway, mm. uh, that's, that's the sort of connections that, that, that came Mm. out in exchange for this and that. Uh, you know, there were also... Because trading exchanges mm. in the ancient Pacific world were not necessarily always about material goods. Oh, mostly because, spiritual. Uh, this, yeah, 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 yeah. They were about... This is, they were, sometimes mm. the exchange was to do with exchanging spiritual goods. Yes. Or yes. spiritual goods in exchange yeah. for material goods. Yes, yes. So there's all sorts of things to exchange. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. I was I was going to ask you, Kirk, that you know when we started off, when I asked the question where it originated from, and you know obviously studies have shown that with you know tra- tra- tracing it to the northern part of uh, Vanuatu and some you know I'm gonna say up where the area of um, my voice. Um, so if 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 say that the origin of kava comes from then and of course the, the the expansion of it throughout when when that came and when when people would come and trade did there must have been some sort of ritual that's done so then you take that to you, to wherever you're going to go and then eventually starts to change into whatever practice you have but I'm wondering if there has to be some sort of rituals. Like it doesn't matter whether where the from the original place, but maybe if you were to do an exchange, like you were just talking about Tana and Tonga, were the, the were there like a specific exchange just for cover, or it doesn't really matter. But as long as it's something in exchange that it's meaningful for the for the two for the two parties. Um, well, there were trade routes. So once a connection had been made, the connection mm. would be uh, established mm. uh, formally, mm. and you'd have a friend, uh, and you may, you'd have a road, you'd yeah. have a road, yeah. and so it could continue for many generations. Eh? Mm-hmm. Uh, it could continue for many generations. Very often, what would happen would be uh, sometimes, sometimes, what might happen would be like uh, the situation that would happen on some islands traditionally. Uh, in Vanuatu, up to within living memory, and some places even today, mm. uh, that uh, a woman would be sent yeah. as a first peaceful contact, because right. a woman is peace. Right. A woman is peace, mm. <laughs> if she's nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, a woman would be sent as a sign of peace, right. and as, uh, as, as, part, as part of the exchange, to, to establish the road, mm. as a mark to establish the road, okay. you know. So you'd get these you'd get these exchanges all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And in the old days, this was going on in Vanuatu all the time. But eventually, the the, con- the all these trading connections were 
uh, were very widespread within Vanuatu in the right. old days. Um, but then the blackbirding ships they yeah. started breaking up the network because uh, you know, when the blackbirding ships first started to come mm. uh, regularly in the 1860s, if they found some of these big trading canoes out in mm, the sea near Vanuatu, they'd, they'd, they'd take yeah. the people from the canoes, you know. So break up the canoe and stuff like that. You know? yeah. yeah. So you don't see that. You don't see those canoes anymore, like in Vanuatu. I mean, no, you no, see no, no. it a lot in no. other places, no. but not in Vanuatu. It has not yeah. really been talked no. about. Because I know yeah. in Pentecost, no, no, we, no, would, no. we would, ref- the whole, you know, blackbirding, it was uh, Wanga Surasura, and it was something that was so, um, you know, referred to as something very scary. You don't talk about it. It's, uh, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, yeah. And then what happened? Mm. Then what happened afterwards mm. was uh, eventually, the in the late 1920s, I think it was 1927, mm. under pressure from the missionaries yeah. and the white traders, right. the condominium, the French and the British sides got together, and in 1927 mm. passed a law uh, making uh, the last remaining trading traditional trading voyages illegal, oh. banned them. So sad. Uh, the missionaries banned mm. them uh, because they wanted to stop the trade in pigs. Yeah. Because they saw the trade in pigs was they thought was supporting heathenism, uh-huh. uh, and uh, the condominium mm. uh, uh, under pressure from the European traders there. Who mm. because by this time, uh, Nivanuatu really smart Nivanuatu they they you know started buying small what we call whale ships, yeah. whale ships, these small white uh, uh, and they start, they were starting their own trading connections, trading mm. ships, uh, competing with early forms of Burns Hope and things right. like that. Yeah. You know, there was, there were Nivanuatu companies started mm. uh, that uh, were, were doing their own, doing their own trading mm. and the European traders didn't like that. Yeah. Mm. So they pressured the condominium governments to ban it. Yeah. So all these pressures it's the year was that? The condominium banned it. Mm. 1927, they banned mm. the traditional inter-island wow. trading. I mean, I mean, it's interesting yeah. to see. So a certain wow. amount of trading still went on, but yeah. more in secret with smaller canoes and things. Eh? Yeah, I mean, yeah. imagine if, if the whole Pacific was basically sailors. I mean, they were navigators. And, and then you hear a lot more about, about the Polynesians and, Micron- and Micronesians, obviously, they are too, but you hear a lot from the Polynesians. But all these Melanesian people with all these tradings and and uh, if they were trading cover and uh, everything else, well, then we don't hear much about all the, you know, sailing and trading and all of that. And it doesn't make, you know, to, to a person today, it's like, well, where's all the canoes? And where's all the, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if people are interested in that, they go mm. down to the, in Vila, go down to the culture center, Mm. Asked to look through some of the old photographs. There's old photographs in the Culture Center photographic collections mm. of <coughs> of uh, uh, some of the last of the really big trading canoes sort of mm. rotting up on the beaches above, uh, say, Wallarano on the mm. mainland opposite Wallarano in northeast Malakula. Mm. Uh, South Santo, you've got some really old photographs taken in the 1870s, 1880s mm. of these giant canoes mm. sort of up on rollers on the beach but sort of rotting away because they hadn't been... Because after so, the Blackbird is destroying the trading canoes and stuff mm-hmm. to capture all the crews, I mean, some of the big trading canoes had people in them, 50 to 60 people in them, you know. Wow. And if a Blackbirding ship came across a canoe like that uh, in the open sea, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you've got stories of the, the Blackbirding ship coming up close to it and then dropping a cannonball wow. down uh, to break the bottom of the canoe and then the people would have to swim out and then they'd be captured. 
mm. and put inside their ship and, you know, sent to the Gold Coast to lie on the beach. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? So, so let's, yeah, let's, let's talk about what, what about the islands um, that do not have cover? Like I know Papua New Guinea, they, they do bit on that and so it's Solomon Islands. Was Solomon ah, Islands okay. hard? Mm-hmm. Yes, no, betel nut was widespread in the Solomons. And okay. for some reason or other, carver and the carver worlds of betel nut are different worlds. Mm. Uh, you know, and mm. they don't seem to, there seems to be a definite split between them. They Up in the banks and Torres, you, you used to have some betel nut and stuff, but carver got in and sort of took over. Um, but uh, Solomons is mainly betel nut chewers. Papua New Guinea is mainly betel nut, but there's a few areas that will have uh, uh, kava. And those, it's funnily enough, they probably originally got them from uh, trades that went back from Vanuatu out towards the west and back into the islands there. Uh, you've got the Gogodala people in one area of Papua New Guinea that have traditionally have kava. The people even up the Bayami people up in the Nomad River, mm. um, PNG, they have kava. Um, but uh, uh, most cultures don't. It's beetle nut chewing areas. and. Beetle nut, and uh, it's like the difference between red wine and ri- white wine, in a way. Oh. Well, no, it's not, because they're both wine. But uh, beetle nut and cava. Have you tried beetle, beetle nut? nut and cava. Yeah, don't mix, huh? Mm. Yeah. Have you tried so, beetle Sorry, nut? Jason, what were you saying? I said, have you tried Yeah, it didn't work. It, did, it didn't work for me. I was working in the Solomons with David Attenborough, and we were doing a documentary film out there in 1974, and I tried beetle nut. Mm. But it didn't do anything for me. But I guess, I guess you have to learn to go with it. Mm. You have to learn how to use it. Huh? Mm. But it's like with kava. Yeah. Some people get a very quick and very easy reaction from kava, like Jason obviously did, like you did, Jason. Some <laughs> people have to really try hard. Mm. Uh, for there's certain types of kava that are very sophisticated kavas that you you really need to be trained to take. Oh, okay, yeah. And there's other types of kavas, special use kavas, where you sometimes have to go on a special diet before going. Uh, you know. uh, mm. uh, it's funny, but people overseas have tended to misunderstand kava. They've said, yeah. "Oh, it's the Pacific brew." Well, it's not brewed. Yeah. Uh, there's no alcohol in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a whole series now. It's known that there's about 40 different chemicals in it, mm. analgesics, anesthetics, all sorts of stuff, in a really, really complex mixture that it may be impossible to reproduce artificially or scientifically, in inverted commas. And that's why mm. I think the big companies, the foreign pharmaceutical countries, get, get so frustrated mm. or angry with Kava because they haven't yet really found <laughs> a way really, to yeah. reproduce it. It's going to take yeah, some yeah, yeah. time. It's going to yeah. take some... <laughs> some yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes, and there's also, there's also this sort of white man's overseas obsession that, oh, yeah. it's... Well, that it's a hallucinogen. I mean, the thing is, it is a narcotic, but it's like the world's only... Uh, non-addictive yeah. uh, 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 narcotic, huh? mm. and it's very interesting. It's mm. very interesting. It is. It has a slight narcotic effect, mm. uh, but it's non-addictive. <laughs> well, not too much, anyway. <laughs> uh, anyway, but um, uh, the thing is, for example, in America, I mean, there's these famous, well, rather famous series of uh, Carver trials in California mm. uh, 22 years ago, um, and. Uh, there's a very interesting, rather interesting story about that because in the late 90s, uh, 
Carver tablets had really kicked off in New York mm. and it had become very popular. And you saw people could see adverts outside drugstores or chemists saying, yes, we have Carver, Carver and stuff mm. like that. So mm. it was the trendy thing at the time mm. uh, in New York in 19, the late 1990s, 1998, I think or so. Um, uh, you could take these Carver tablets and it, it was becoming really, really, really popular. And this was after the publication of the results of a series of experiments in the late 90s in a Dutch or German hospital mm. where they tried Carver uh, on people that were people that were suffering from a lot of anxiety, stress and tension mm. uh, and compared it with, uh, they did a series of test trials comparing it with uh, Prozac and a placebo tablet. So. Mm. And the CAVA came out really, really effective. Mm. Uh, not, not for those who had really extreme anxiety, stress, or tension, but for those who had medium. They found CAVA was very successful in relieving anxiety, stress, and tension mm. amongst those people. And when you took them off the CAVA tablet stuff, mm. uh, the CAVA extract, um, there were no withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. Uh, which mm. you didn't get with the Prozac. And they, sa they said the, the basic report that came out said this is uh, uh, just, as, just, just as effective as any of the modern medicines available uh, for this sort of stuff, for, for those suffering from medium-level mm. anxiety, stress, and tension. And when that was published, the mm. news went around, bam, like a, like a thunderclap. Wow. Mm. You know, um, because stress is, you know, in the United mm. States in most areas is... Well, many areas is a bit sort of stressed out. Huh? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it's like in your area there, Jason, but your your area sounds a bit more relaxed. Yeah. But uh, in general, it's very, very sort of stressed out. But mm. I can remember after that report came out, I remember uh, speaking with a colleague who had been based over there, and he said, uh-oh, better watch out because uh, um, some of the big uh, pharmaceutical companies will get jealous or angry about that. Yeah. Because if people start taking off, and you actually had, you actually had doctors in the U.S. who, because of that report, started taking some of their patients off of Prozac tablets mm. and putting them onto Cava tablets. So that's a big no-no yeah, over in the, yeah, <laughs> over, over, away over there. there. That, yeah. That, yeah, that means that the pharmaceutical companies might lose money. Might lose money. Oh, oh yeah. 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 So, so w w what this colleague said was, mm. "I'll bet you sooner or later." Mm -hmm. One will soon get uh, maybe court cases associated with this. And sure enough, I'm not okay. saying the two are actually connected, but in the year 2000, police in <clears throat> San Mateo County in California, there's a Tongan population living there. Mm. Um, they arrested a some chap um, who seemed to be driving a bit erratically. Uh, <laughs> and it was a Tongan chap, and they assumed it was alcohol they gave him an alcohol test and they had no alcohol but they, they said he was driving under the influence of an unknown hallucinogen you know he'd just been drinking cava so anyway then what happened was the, obviously the news got out and um and uh uh so then the police staged a raid on a church uh yeah. in san mateo county yeah. after because the uh, the, the Tongan men would sort of have a cava session outside the church after the church service. And so the, <laughs> the police raided this, uh, uh, the, the, the cava drinking session uh, 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 outside the church. Mm. And there was a trial. And it was a, it was a, they were, they were going to take all these people, to, all these Tongan men to court for, for imbibing and hallucinogen, oh, you gosh. know. 
Uh, well, the thing is, Carver's not an hallucinogen. No, it's, it's an audio gen. Yeah. You hear things. Yeah. You hear things. You don't yeah. see things, you hear things. It's an audio gen. Uh, but the thing is, because people in the United States and the police and stuff know so, knew so little about it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there was an old school friend of mine from England who was over there in California at the time who contacted me. I was down here in Australia at the time uh, uh, and told me about this court case. And I managed through this friend to get hold of the, the, the contact with the defense lawyer of the case. Mm. Um, and sent them a whole pile of information about Carver mm. and stuff. And uh, and the prosecution, these are the, the Californian police who are mm. trying to prosecute all these poor Tongans for, mm. you know, possession of, you know, like a super horrible hallucinogenic drug or something like right. that, uh, lost the case. Lost wow. the case as they were 11, 11 Tongans on trial. Mm. Uh, the defense it ended up, turned out to be much better informed about the cover than the prosecution. You probably end up <laughs> drinking it too so later the, on. The stuff I'd sent was, yeah. uh, but anyway, so they released 10, they released 10 of the people mm-hmm. the, after the trial who were found to be innocent. But funnily enough, they, they kept, well, one, they, one they kept back. They had to arrest him for something just to make it show, I guess, to the police chief or something like that, that the, the the raid wasn't completely wasted or whatever, I'm not sure. And I asked, when I asked later, mm. I asked this old school friend or someone over there about it, what was that one Tongan who was kept out after the trial, found guilty of, what was he found guilty of? And the person laughed and said over the phone, guilty of being Tongan. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking a lot of power. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's the thing, you see. Uh-huh. What, Sorry. Yes. Yes. I wanted to. I wanted to ask you. Um, I know there's so many areas to cover. Um, going back to the, you had mentioned about. Uh, you know, we talk about trading and women is uh, is the symbolic way of uh, you know being not traded, but um, I guess peace. You know, to make peace or to. Um, to form a form an alliance or relationship with another another uh, group of people or island, um, for instance, say Tonga and Vanuatu people from Rotuna. Is that um, I wonder though because there are some cultural or custom stories, for especially for me coming from North Pentecost, women are not allowed to drink cover. and I know that now that has changed. If you're in in town you know you do women do drink cover who are from uh, north Pentecost. i myself don't um and i think uh, for respectful purposes and also the spiritual aspects of it uh was that because those stories that were told because sometimes and then you go back to the oral stories that were f- from my the stories i was told that uh, it was the cover plant, you know, came as the formation of, uh, you know, like um, something to do with a woman and a, and a husband um, having a fight or something. And then the perhaps the woman have died or something. And then it got, you know, they buried the, the woman and then out from that came the cover plant. And I think that there is a lot of those kind of stories. I think Tonga kind of has a little bit of that, that stories too. Do you think that those stories, because of some that relationship of form, um, forming alliance that women are always kind of some of the 
you know, uh, to, to form alliance. So women represents those things between two parties. Do you think that that's why those stories are being told in relations to that the, that um, relationship? Yeah. Well, it depends on each culture. What you tend to find in Vanuatu is that cultures that tend to be, to a certain extent, matrilineal, ah, where the woman's side okay. is quite important, okay. tend to have uh, stories about Kava that look upon Kava as associated with a woman. Mm. Cultures that tend towards patri uh, a patrilineal sort of thing, where the side of the men is more important, tend to have stories where the origin of Kava is Kava, the spirit associated with Kava is a male, mm. man, mm. is a man. Uh, there's interesting cases where you've got cultures that combine both uh, patrilineal and matrilineal mm. uh, and stuff. And there you'll find that Kava, the spirit associated with Kava sometimes is a mix. Okay. Um, but there's, there's actual particular reasons why Kava, or particularly the stronger varieties, mm. is traditionally not recommended or not permitted for women to drink. And there's uh, social, medical, and cultural reasons for it. Mm. Um, one of the... How can one put it? Uh, uh, um, I'm just trying to... How can I put this without... Uh, Stepping on toes. Being impolite. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mm. look, look, one... Just to give you an example. One island in Vanuatu, I won't say where, mm -hmm. in I think the 1960s or 70s, where Kava was drunk, they decided that they, uh, they would do away with the traditional uh, bands mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that they would uh, allow Kava to be drunk by women. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite a small island. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so what happened is the women started, they, they, the chiefs lifted the controls mm -hmm. and said, okay, you women, you can drink now. And so the women started drinking kava. But what happened was one of the effects, uh, I'm trying to find out a way to politely put this, one of the effects that the particular type of kava that the women were drinking there mm -hmm. at that time was, I mean, one of the effects is, it, it makes you feel very friendly, very relaxed, oh, very friendly. Okay. Uh, and what happened was that the women became, um, you savvy? Yes. Uh, 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 yeah. And then afterwards, it was, there was some accusations of adultery and stuff like that with the oh. men who, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then the chiefs reimposed the ban. So, uh, it so was, there's certain uh, types of cover with that medicinal, whatever the, the causes that. No, right? no, no. Mm. It's because, because the general, uh, one of the general side effects of kava is to is to make you feel very relaxed okay. and very secure right. i mean normally if you've had like jason was saying if you've had a really rough day and things are really bad mm -hmm. it's like if you in vila if, you, if you're an mp and you spent all day arguing in parliament mm -hmm. you really look forward to getting to your <laughs> nakamal in the evening and sitting down and you might have your opponent sitting opposite you and mm -hmm. you're drinking kava and talking about uh the good times and things yeah. like that, and then back to arguing the next day. <laughs> During the day, the world can split into antagonistic yeah. uh, uh, factions, 
But in the evening, kava brings it all together and everything balances perfectly. Okay. Um, but, but with the kava, the mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. felt really secure and protected. So any man sneaking around, mm-hmm. you know, had an easy, who hadn't been drinking kava, found it very easy to uh, play, play, if you okay. know what I mean. Uh, so on that particular island where they'd allowed the women to drink it all the time. So then the chiefs reimposed the ban, etc. Uh, I was just trying to be, deal with that sort of situation there as politely as I can. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, won't, I won't say the name of the island that did it or wherever, uh, so, or whatever. But anyway, uh-huh. so there's things like that. Mm. But, but going over to medicinal sides, mm. look, there are, there are cases where in some cultures in Vanuatu, uh, where women can prepare kava. Yes. It's very rare. Wow. Uh, but there are places where women can prepare, for example, funerary kava. Okay. Um, and I've drunk funerary kava. What is traditional that? Traditional funerary kava, chewed by women. Okay. Uh, at one point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to say where mm-hmm. where it is. It's just sort of a... Uh, but anyway, it does exist. Mm. Uh uh, but it's very special. And my, my gosh, it's good cover. My gosh. Yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and it's drunk in very special uh, shells. Mm. Um, but um, uh, medicinally, uh, kava is particularly good for certain types of women's things. For example, there's particularly type... <coughs> um, if, for example, I'm sorry to use these terms, but if, for example, a woman is having particularly uh, painful uh, period pains... Mm. Sorry, blow yeah, yeah. There's a particular type of kava in some areas that can be given medicinally to these uh-huh. women yes. at around that time that yeah. that, which mm-hmm. stops the pain. Yeah. yeah. There's a kava, for example, if you're a woman who's just given birth, but you're mm-hmm. not, you you're not. Um, producing uh, enough breast milk, yeah. there's another type of kava that can be given medicinally to that woman that uh, helps her to produce breast milk. I've seen right. that happen. Right. I've seen that happen. It's very effective. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's uh, all sorts of things. Right. There, there, there's all sorts of things that, that can be used for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's those kinds of kavas that really need to be also protected. They're, yeah, they're, traditional, they're, they're traditional medicines. There are yes. some some elderly people, some men and some women, mm-hmm. elderly men and elderly women, who have really, really deep knowledge mm. about the use of these particular types of kavas for particular types of mm. uh, male and female mm. uh, maladies, mm. illnesses. Mm. Yeah, and this that's part of part part of uh, Vanuatu's heritage and needs mm. to be needs to be protected. Eh? Yeah. Um, so why yeah. aren't we using it um, so much today as it was in, in the past? Well, you know, because it's, everybody's sort of saying it's the history of sort of like modern development in inverted right. commas, you know. Right. There's, there's a long history of, look, the missionaries brought in some many good things, but they right. tended to bring in this idea that, uh, and even the condominium government, there's this idea that the white people invented medicine. Uh, that's all complete and utter, um, if you excuse my French, shit, shit, belong bullock. <laughs> you know, medicine has existed in Vanuatu for, you know, a couple of uh, thousands of years. Thousands of years, you yeah. Know, what's yeah. happened was that the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, early missionaries and the condominium government mm-hmm. brought in European medicine, and the Europeans tend, like many cultures, tend to think that their medicine is the only medicine that's worthwhile, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, most of the medicine is actually used to cure, you know, if 
in Central Hospital in Vila, mm. most of the people in the hospital are in there because of stuff of uh, dealing with illnesses or, 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 or stuff that have been brought in from the outside world. Huh? Yeah. I mean, there were very few illnesses there mm. in the islands in the old days. There wasn't even the common cold. Yeah. Uh, t- t- tuberculosis, TB... I don't think there's any evidence for TB in Vanuatu before about 1860 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, malaria, of course, existed. Mm-hmm. But there was uh, traditional medicine, for example, on Eromango. Mm-hmm. They had traditional medicine for an early type of malaria, mm-hmm. which was not strong. Mm-hmm. But a stronger type of malaria was actually introduced with, with mosquito bags and bottles mm-hmm. by sandalwood traders and blackbirders who wanted to decimate the population. Oh. Through malaria, and, and that was a particular case in one in Edomango at one time, uh, but uh, other strong forms of malaria always existed mm-hmm. um, in other areas. Um, but there were very few sort of. I mean, yours used to exist, scras, mm-hmm. scras, mm-hmm. uh, but that was easily eradicated from the 1920s onwards by a, uh, a health campaign coming out of uh, Fiji mm-hmm. uh, with a Dr. Lambert mm-hmm. who was doing that and his team throughout the Western Pacific. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a type of infection that you get, you know, scratch on your legs, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and stuff. Um, but there weren't really any major illnesses. I mean, there was, there was no, the, the common cold did not exist. Mm-hmm. Influenza, measles, smallpox, whooping cough mm-hmm. didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, what killed off the populations was introduced European diseases and then the Spanish flu of 1918, 19, 19, 19 yeah. that came through and wiped yeah. out a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, but there were, there were traditional medicines all over the place. Mm-hmm. For the, all the cultures had to develop it to help them to uh, survive. I mean, heck, the population of the country today, mm-hmm. even though there's now just over 300,000 people, and everybody thinks the World Bank is sort of saying, oh, too many people. Mm-hmm. But even so, today, the population today is only maybe a third or a half of what it used to be before the white people arrived. Mm-hmm. You know? Can I just throw in something real quick here? I, sure, Jason. Yeah, go ahead. I feel like when so, like, if you look through history, like uh, you know, let's say let's focus on Europe. So, like, Europe was facing like a health crisis, right? So, scientists mm-hmm. developed some to combat the health crisis. Well, the exact same thing happened in the South Pacific. But they never are given any like, like, credit towards that because they were facing the same kinds of things that Europeans were facing and the same kinds of solutions that they came up with. But anyway, my I, I guess my the point that I'm saying is like we give all the credit to European scientists for coming up with solutions to you know diseases or or whatnot, but there were people in the Pacific or in the rest of the world, for that matter, who were doing work to come up with solutions to solve health problems that we never give credit to. Well, I think mostly indigenous people because they've lived for, you know, time immemorial. So they know they've I mean. survived. They've, that, yeah, and they've never been I mean. given credit to. Yeah. And then now the, the scientists are looking to the indigenous people for answers. Uh, you know, we think of climate change. We think of a whole bunch of stuff, you know. And uh, Calvary is just sitting there. And we, we think it's just a commercial purposes. But 
Um, I think Vanuatu is moving into the direction now of um, uh, using more, uh, well, I would say, accepting the fact that we do have traditional medicine that needs to be tapped into. And let's just hope that it's not made to be very commercial, commercialized and, and be completely, you know, be given up to the to the West to find ways to bottle it up. Yeah, darn right. Um, what you find also is that a lot of the medicines that the European uh, or the white man's uh, medicine market is selling to the third world, a lot of the medicines originally uh, originated from other traditional cultures. Mm. That, uh, for yeah. example, quinine for malaria, yeah. which was the original yeah. treatment for malaria, is actually coming originally from a South American Indian tribe. Where yeah. early uh, European explorers saw that being used, and then they developed. And out of that came chloroquine and and everything. And also, there's a lot of medicines that so, that so, bioprospectors so, or the representatives right. of the pharmaceutical countries go through the world and try and find, find yeah. plants mm. and traditional medicines that can they, they can then ramp up and use and sell. Mm. Um, so Vanuatu needs to protect its traditional medicines mm-hmm. or to make sure that it retains the rights over a lot of these medicines, and kava is one of the medicines that can be used properly. There are certain types of kava that shouldn't, how can one put it? You have to be very careful if you drink, because there's so many varieties. You have mm-hmm. to be very, there's some varieties that you have to be a little bit careful of. Mm-hmm. There, there's some special purpose, mm-hmm. special purpose kavas. There's mm-hmm. some that are really sort of, sort of super magical yeah. and stuff. But these sorts of things, the, the kava, I think, was really important in the development of stuff across the Pacific, because what you tend to find is that um, uh, carvers, uh, cultures traditionally, worldwide, have always been rather interested in what some people might call drugs, mm. you know. Uh, mm. uh, and what, what, for example, you know, when we all study at school, we, uh, we study, for example, like uh, uh, when you were at school, you'd study the, uh, the old view about the, the development of the history of the development of agriculture, in the Middle East, you know, the first wheat and mm. barley and millet mm. and all that stuff. And they talk about the development of agriculture. But what they're finding out now is the archaeologists working on that part of the world are finding out now is that long before wheat from which bread is made, long before barley and millet were planted agriculturally, mm. this is going back thousands of years, they found that there's evidence that the first forms of agriculture in that part of the world, the Middle East, was not stuff for food, but for drugs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like the forerunners of, say, marijuana or uh, opium or whatever, uh, uh, and stuff like that, but used for medicinal purposes. Mm. Used for medicinal purposes. Yeah, you know, and, and ritual no, purposes. They no, found I evidence knew. that it was that these were used medicinally and religious and for religious ritual stuff. Huh? Mm. Yeah, mm. and so, but anyway, I mean, kava has. It has a sort of a drug side to it, but then uh, one culture's drug is another culture's normal sort of drink. I mean, I can remember in the late 1960s, because before I started uh, coming to the then New Hebrides of Vanuatu doing cultural work, the area that I was sort of wandering around in was uh, cultures in the northern part of Africa and the Sahara parts of the Sahara Desert. Mm. And I can remember one time in, I think it was 1969, uh, I was, uh, I did three stints in, in that part of the world, uh, very interested in traditional cultures there. Mm. And at one point, uh, I remember 
I was sitting in a stone hut towards the end of the day uh, with a group of uh, mountain tribal warriors who had homemade muzzle-loading rifles leaned up against the inside wall of the stone hut. And at the end of the day, they were taking out from their leather pouch that they carried, they were taking out their pipe to smoke keef in, which was their form of marijuana. Mm. And in their part of the world, it was the traditional thing. Mm. Uh, and uh, all, all men smoked it. It was part of the normal accepted thing in that part of the world because they didn't have alcohol. Um, and uh, I had just arrived there, and one of the old men uh, pulled out an extra pipe from his bag, and he said, do you want some of this? And I said, well, look, uh, I, I might not take it, but do you happen to have any beer with you? And I said in, in French, because they spoke French, uh, although that wasn't their language. Their original language was Berber. Um, uh, and, uh, and when I said, uh, no, but do you have any beer? You should have seen the shocked look on their faces. My gosh. Oh, they were actually really shocked. And then they said, oh, beer. They said to me, beer. You need to be really careful about that because it's very addictive. And if you start drinking that, you can't stop and you end up in the lunatic asylum. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, every, every culture, they, they, every culture denigrates yeah. the, the drug of another mm. uh, culture. Whereas for uh, white Australians or Americans, alcohol is sort of like the drug of choice. But mm. it is a drug. Yeah. It is a drug, and it can be addictive, mm. and it can be very damaging, mm. um, yeah. uh, in spite of the fact that there are cultures who like... The French, they have a very different attitude to alcohol. Yeah. For the French, alcohol is drunk with your meal. Mm. You don't drink alcohol on its own. You have it with food and mm. stuff. So you tend to, rates of alcoholism in France tend to be lower Although, than yeah. they do in other cultures where they don't have... Like in England... And amongst uh, Anglo-Australians, mm. there isn't necessarily this cultural thing where you drink alcohol with food. You can drink alcohol to get drunk. Mm. But in French-speaking cultures, you don't do that. Mm. Uh, in France, you don't do that. You don't drink alcohol to get drunk. Well, you can do, yeah, but it's not, it's not the traditional way. Mm. There's a very, very difference. Mm. And with kava, because it has so many cultural and historical and traditional medicinal laws associated with it, you don't. You wouldn't traditionally uh, drink kava to get completely flat on it. You know. Yeah. Uh, although it's happened to me several times. I've had some some rather interesting evenings with kava over the years. But normally it's just to relax you at the end of the day. Yeah. Also medicinally, what they're finding out now is is some of the medical doctors. We've always suspected that kava can help give uh, resistance to some types of cancer. Mm. Regular drinking of kava can help resist to some kinds of cancers. And there's some interesting experiments, I think over in, over in the U.S. a few years ago, which tended to show that uh, kava was very effective against the development of colon cancer. Mm. But this was in the laboratory in vitro, mm. as they call it, in a glass in the laboratory. Mm. They hadn't tried it on humans, but they found that ex medical experiments had shown, this was just, I think it was 2018, mm. had shown that kava seemed to be it seemed to inhibit the growth of or destroy mm. the growth of colon cancer in, the, in, in, in a laboratory situation. Mm. So that may show that it can be very useful to, uh, as a few regularly drink kava in the evening, you probably won't get uh, colon cancer. Mm. There's also an indication, I think, that uh, regular drinking of 
of kava, I think, can protect men from getting cancer of the testicles. Uh, prostate, ca- prostate cancer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, um, I don't know about prostate cancer. That's oh. slightly different. Okay. Uh, but it may be. It may be so. I mean, I think kava. Regular drinking of, no, not overdoing it every night of your life, but uh, regular drinking of kava can protect you against uh, the development of certain types of uh, cancers. And I think that's maybe something that there there can be good re- collaboration between traditional custom doctors and modern scientific uh, doctors who could work together on really finding out if that's used. Because one of the biggest sicknesses in the in the modern world is cancer. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. And in spite of the billions of dollars that have yeah. been invested and used in developing techniques to fight cancer, mm. cancer rates in the modern world are not going down. No. Um, but a lot mm. of the cancer rates in the modern world are to do with chemical pollution, uh, stress, mm. uh, all, all, all sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of things in the modern world that need to be changed mm. to really uh, 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 lower the cancer rates. Mm. Um, but you've got a situation where my, some people sort of say that uh, maybe some of the big pharmaceutical com- companies are making so much money. Yeah, um, that's true. I actually heard this from a doctor years ago, making so much money from the cancer industry that uh, if a wonder cure for cancer suddenly appeared tomorrow, you'd probably get, you, this person actually said you might get some opposition from some of the big companies who might sort of, sort of say, ah, but you need our medicine anyway. Mm. You know, sort of thing, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. So, um, so Kirk, so mm. Kirk, what do you think about like the obviously I need to drink more kava. If I need to protect myself, but <laughs> yes, yes, you could what? actually get get a prescription <laughs> from your doc from your doctor from, from his and, wife. And, <laughs> so, yes, yes. What 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 do you think? Because today. What do you what do you think about the commercialization of kava? Because, mm. I mean, for example, we we've been approached to sell kava in America from, you know, family members in Vanuatu, and I mean, kava is kind of gone global, but yeah. you can sell kava and make a lot of money worldwide today. Yes, yes, I think. Look, there's several aspects to it. I think if it's done with respect. And stuff. I think it's it's look. It's potentially it's the Pacific's great gift to the world mm. for, for for relieving stress and anxiety and tension. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, it just needs to be uh, managed. I think with respect and everything. Yeah. Um, and look, it is. It's something that comes from the Pacific. It's grown in the Pacific, and it's something that families now in the Pacific they can make a bit of in they can make income from mm. uh and therefore it's it's really good because it's something that it doesn't take you away from your land right. so many of the modern developments that the the big com- countries overseas and their agencies are sort of trying to promote as a form of development take you off your land or make you sell your try and sell your land to do something else which is really not necessarily helpful in the long run. Yeah. Uh, but with kava, I mean, you can grow it yourself on your own land. You know, and 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 you're, if you're if you're in Nivanamatu, you know more about the kava than the scientists do. You know, um, uh, and so therefore it can it can help you and your families out if it's done if it's done properly. Yes, if it's um, done properly, what, I think that what, that's what, yeah. yeah, that's one thing that we have to. 
Because um, sometimes, I know in Pentecost, sometimes it can be overly, um, in terms of like almost mass production and for the, I'm talking about clearing of land and all of that, that uh, it takes over, you know, the spaces for growing, you know, the everyday crops that needs to feed the the people. And then we end up depending more on the storeport product because now you're, yeah, you're getting yeah, more that's, money. Yes, that's something you have to be very careful yes. of. You just don't, don't overdo it because you yes. need land to grow your food on. That's, that's very um, true. But, but it's one of the things that could, could really help Vanuatu and other countries and some other, the three other main cargo exporting countries in the Pacific, Samoa, Tonga, and Fiji, to become really much more self-sufficient just so long as it's not overdone. Yes. You know, I mean, you can get to a situation, you savvy, where it's like yeah. everybody, oh, let's cut down all the coconut trees and we'll plant cava there or yeah. something like that, you know. But, well, yeah, yeah, no. that's something you have to be really careful you of have and, to. And, not, and, not, and not overdo it. Huh? Yeah. Um, oh, look, let me just, uh, you, that's a good question there, Jason. I'll just look, I'll just read to you a very short paragraph of a thing that I wrote in um, 2019 as a proposed talk down in uh, 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 in Auckland. Um, but I never got down there to do it, but they'd asked me to talk at a meeting, and so I wrote a short proposal, and they actually asked me um, what I thought about the commercialization. Look, I think basically there's two sides to it. Yes, I think if it's if it done carefully, it can help out Pacific Islanders. It's their own thing. Mm. You know, you're not taking something from another culture and changing things and stuff. It's your own thing. If it's done carefully and if it's done with awareness, then it can be then it can be very beneficial. But I was also concerned because there was this trend, there was this push, I think, uh, down in at the time, okay, let's just commercialize it. Yeah, wow, you know, like the American, American sort of thing would be, yeah, let's uh, ramp it up and concentrate it and uh, mix it with peppermint and blah, 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 and all mm. those sorts of crazy things. But uh, anyway, here's what this, that's the thought thing I wrote in 2019 as the basis for a possible talk down there. And I entitled it Insulting Pacific Ancestors, the Dark Side of Kava Commercialization Outside the Island Pacific. Now, I'm not completely against it, but I felt that somebody at the conference needed to mention something like that, you know. Mm. So I had to sort of play the devil's advocate in a way there. And then I went on. The use of kava as a trendy social drink has been spreading widely around areas of the world outside its traditional Pacific homelands and clientele over the last decade. In most cases, these new kava bars have been inspired and, and established by sympathetic foreigners keen to replicate the relaxing atmosphere of kava drinking they themselves experienced in visiting parts of the Pacific. Ah, like the Peace Corps. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Jason. Anyway, uh, kava is all about peace, respect, and dialogue, was the head headline of one long key 2012 article from the Vanuatu Daily Post. And much of the international spread of kava has been along these lines. Mm. There is, however, in some instances and areas, a slightly darker side to this generally positive growth that may not gel well with ancestral Pacific spirits. In most kava-drinking Pacific cultures, the plant and drink is essentially of traditional religious importance. The Pacific introduction of Christianity, <coughs> which originally tried to ban it almost everywhere, did not succeed in destroying this, ritual, this religious focus. Increasing recent commercialization, however, has exposed hints of tactics of greed, control-freak business, and even aspects of racism. Hmm. The 2002 German ban, legally recommended as unmerited 
and to be annulled in 2014 has still yet to be officially lifted. Yeah, the medical German medical authorities are still holding back on lifting the ban there, I tell you. Anyway, um, but Australia is really the world's only nation where Kava is currently a restricted prescribed drug. That was the situation in 2019. That's been lifted now, mm. as I'll say that. Yeah, but I was writing this is what the situation was at the time. Mm. The Australian Minister for Indigenous Affairs has... And I quote, clearly, there should be no cava for sale in Australia. Yeah, end of quote. That was the situation we said in 2014. Mm. The cava had become politicized. Yeah. These restrictions are based upon supposed health concerns. In spite of this, various forms of cava in tablet, even effervescent form, produced by Australian companies, have recently appeared in stores. Some hint that this may have been the plan from the start, but the plant and drinking methods uh, sorry, ban the plant and drinking methods and take out and take it out of the control of traditional Pacific owners whilst yeah. at the same time attempting to scientifically control the plant's ingredients so non-Pacific companies can commercialize the sale of kava extracts. Mm. It is an old tale, and this is but the tip of the pig's tusk. Um, anyway, I never ended up giving the longer version of the speech because I didn't get down to Auckland. Mm. But there's things like that that one has to be aware of. Um, yeah. In a way, what uh, what people can do, I mean, um, raising the raising of particular types of kava and its sale can really help out families in the outer islands. And it doesn't mean that the, you know, that the eldest son might have to go and get a job in the capital or something like that. I mean, they can actually do it, you know, work from home, like working from home during the lockdown. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, but it needs to be done with by being very aware. Yeah. Don't over, don't over, as you say, don't over plant it so that you don't have any room to, to grow your food mm. uh, or your other things that you need. And uh, uh, and make sure you have a, a variety of kavas mm -hmm. that are grown. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, uh, make sure that it's distributed uh, properly. Mm -hmm. uh, and and, and I, I think, with, as, as usual, with so many things to do with the Pacific... Respect is an important ingredient yeah. that yeah. needs to be treated with respect. Yeah. Um, but it's the thing that if used properly, for example, over where you are, over in the United States, over in that far distant remote part of the world where you are, <laughs> on that big island, uh, which the Chinese would class as, you know, it's the last island in the world that was created, sort of thing, <laughs> bit bigger than many other islands. Um, it could cover, if introduced in the proper way, it could actually do an awful lot of good. Yeah. An awful lot of good. I mean, there's so many... Mm -hmm. People over there on, on your big island there that are actually ill, you know, mm -hmm. and they're either to survive, they're taking either illegal, half of the population seems to be taking illegal drugs, and the other half of the population are taking illegal mm drugs. -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, I think Kava can, Kava can really help out a lot of them yes. if it's introduced in the, in, in, in the proper way. Yeah. yeah. So, so yes, yeah. we are we are truly blessed to have... Um, Something that, uh, I mean, it would be sad if it's only uh, a little portion of the Pacific, but the whole Pacific, I, I feel better. I feel better that that's something that we can all say that, yes, we are part of something amazing. And I, I like the fact that every single country that cover is, uh, you know, practice or the, the drinking of cover or the ceremonial uh, participation, whether it's in marriage or whatever, whatever the aspect is of everyday life, I think uh, everyone has their own uh, deep understanding 
everybody has their own spiritual uh, understanding of whatever the uh, the species of kava that they have or the you know and so i think that's something that probably really resonates in for Vanuatu anyway really resonates with with everybody even the little kids but um i'm do you do you in your in your field of work do you think kava is going to be something that the essential uh nuances of it from from the cultural aspect of it do you think that that will eventually one day be gone or that would always be there oh that's a good question uh mary uh, uh the way of the modern world unfortunately the modern commercial world all you know got the respect. They mm-hmm. don't know really what respect is. The commercial world, unfortunately, today uh, 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 is, I, I feel, is sadly, is sick, long money. Yeah, it's, uh, it's greed uh, and ramping things up. Go, 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 faster, 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 cheaper, 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 blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be the, 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 the mantra today as what everybody mm-hmm. uh, is sort of pushing. Um, but I think if, you, if one is going to do, deal with um, this... Are you there, Kirk? Are you there? Yes, go ahead. Jason has been. Ah, sur- sorry. Yeah, I think we got. We, I think we got cut off. I think he got one dead cockroach on <laughs> telephone line. Yeah. No, <laughs> the, it, it's 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 Jason. Um, he has. Let me add him in if he can join us again. He he's. Somehow... Uh, Jason, were you on your third shell and your head fell and uh, your head <laughs> yeah, went down I think and touched so. something on the keyboard there that uh, cut it off? <laughs> yes, I think so. So now I've got him. Are you? Oh, he's not available. Okay, yeah, just go ahead. Uh, sorry, what was that? What point was I getting at there? Um, ah, yes, the, mm-hmm. the, I think with the cover, one of the things that maybe maybe uh, uh, chiefs and leaders and uh, governments in the Pacific can actually think about is also if you're going to be involved in the in cover exporting, mm-hmm. uh, a, a part of the export push should be very much associated with with respect as well. And so saying, okay, if you're uh, someone that is exporting kava to the outside world, yeah, make sure that respect goes with it. 
Mm-hmm. And that's something that, in a way, in a way, everybody along the chain, and for example, those, for example, over on the Big Island, where at the end of the world where you all are, sort of thing, uh, um, uh, uh, is something to put out at that end as well. You know, and each evening you start the sessions with a, a talk about respect and things like that. And this mm-hmm. is this is to do with uh, you know listening to your ancestors. One of the things with one one type of kava is if if you're taught, I mean, you need certain types of kava. You need to be taught mm-hmm. how to move with it. I mean, I can remember one time uh, there was a chap. I was oh, yes, he was he was from the United States. He was American mm-hmm. who'd come over mm-hmm. uh, and. He was very depressed. Mm. Uh, his wife mm. told me he's been very depressed because his father had died. This chap, was, he was in his 50s, but his father would die, had died. And there are things that he wanted to talk to his father about, and he hadn't been able to do so because his father died very suddenly. Um, um, and I said, uh, I said, uh, okay, well, look, uh, yes, there's certain types of kava very special types of kava that can help you to talk with the spirits of your dead ancestors mm. or your family and stuff. So I took him to a place there. Uh, this would be, I'd, and I'd organized it and a lot of work went into it. And I said to him, uh, okay, now you start now and uh, um, drink it. And if you do this and you do this and you do this, mm. um, if it's done properly, you will hear, you might be able to talk with your father. Mm. And uh, he got into this session, and after he came out of the session, he was crying wow. and trembling. And um, <clears throat> and he said, it's all okay now. I managed to speak to my father, and it's all all right. We started mm-hmm. to sort out the last things that were needed to be done, mm-hmm. and it's all it's all good. Thank you very, very much. Huh? Yeah. I felt really glad for him, but yeah. it was really, uh, I mean, my gosh, he was crying and trembling. Yeah. And his wife came, the, 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 I think, a couple of days later, and she said, look, I would like to thank you very much because that really, that's really helped. Yeah. That's really helped my husband. It's really, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We didn't allow his wife to sit in on the, on the yeah. thing. Yeah, but it's yeah, a... This is, this is one of the it's, I think it's a very interesting, I mean, I know there are certain aspects that we can't talk about it um, on podcasts or anything, but I think cover, obviously, the spiritual side of it and the cultural, there's so many... There's so many layers of it that um, it almost uh, it's like it has healing aspects of it, whether it's a natural or it's a spiritual or it's a, it's physical. Uh, obviously, medicine medicine. Yeah, but there are also Jason, you'll get a kick out of this. There are also some trick aspects of it as well. There's some kinds of karma that you can trick people with, and uh, one time. Uh, Old Avio from Epi, he, he tricked me with a kava. Um, there was one time where, uh, and I think it was, it was, it was, at, yeah, it was after independence, and the British um, uh, High Commissioner, British Ambassador, British High Commissioner, um, was uh, uh, was was there and had invited me one evening to his house as there was a visiting representative of the Fijian government who was mm-hmm. over visiting the Vanuatu government, but then was going to due to have a meal one evening mm-hmm. at the um, at the house of the British High Commissioner. So he sent me an invitation and said, oh. um, and 
my late first wife was uh, overseas at the time. So I said, yes, I'll be glad to come along, but it'll be just me. Um, but look, um, can, can I, um, I don't want to drink any alcohol because it, it was be a cocktail thing as well beforehand. Um, can I bring some cava along and drink that instead beforehand? Uh, and he said, yes, that's fine. He was a really nice chap, Richard Dorman. Eh? Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Dorman. Uh, and um, uh, I think it was Richard Dorman, um, the late Richard Dorman. Anyway, um, uh, so I then sent a message down to Avi, who's living at Melkoffe. I said, look, um, can you organize for me a, 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 a plastic of really good quality cava? I'll go drink that up at the British High Commissioner's house mm-hmm. on, say, say, Friday evening or something like that. And have you sent a message back saying, yes, you're good, no more. You know what? Mm. Uh, anyway, so on the way there to the British High Commissioner's house, I picked up, dropped in at Avenue's and picked up this plastic of cover and went down, uh, arrived at the British High Commissioner's house, uh, walked in and shook hands with everybody and said hello. And then while they were all having cocktails, I went down to the bottom of the garden. It was already dark. And I started drinking the cava um, there on my own. Uh, and after drinking a couple of shells of it, I thought, God, bloody hell, all of you has really tricked me because I'm drinking this and there's no effect whatsoever. What a waste of time. If I see Avi tomorrow, by me, by me talk strong a little bit like him, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I had about three shells of this stuff. Didn't want to, didn't want to bother. I said, it's not worth finishing the rest because there's no effect. So I went up to, when it was time to eat, I went up to the meal and, uh, um, uh, and sat down, and I was sitting at one point. The, the, the British High Commissioner was sitting to my right, uh, and the, 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 I think it was the Fijian Ambassador, Minister of Foreign Affairs or something, was sitting not far away on the other side of the table. And there were other Nivanuatu man place friends around on the table, really nice. And we started bringing in the food, and the first thing they brought in was a small plate of like little hot meatballs. Huh? Mm. Um, you know. So I was. I was. Uh, I found that uh, uh, as soon as I started eating one of the meatballs, I started, you know, talking, and it was really. It was like I uh, talking, and I couldn't stop talking, you know. <laughs> and everybody was sort of looking at me, you know. And then me talk talk all same, you know, electric, you know. And uh, uh, then after about the third meatball, the meatballs were quite hot. Then suddenly, uh, I felt really. Uh, and urged to bang my head against the table. <laughs> so I managed quickly to... And sometimes with cava, it can trick you a little bit, you know. Mm. Uh, this is particularly if it's a female cava, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry about that, really. But uh, Jason, you'll understand that. But anyway, um, um, I quickly, with one hand that was shaking, I pushed my plate out of the way, and then my head went down, bang, on the table like that, and banged my forehead against the table. And I just kept banging my forehead against the table. Um, uh, and the British High Commissioner, who's very, you know, very cool, uh, sort of said, oh, oh, I say, you know, and, and the Fijian uh, uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs or whoever was going, oh, what's this? And I was going, no, it's okay, it's a Vanuatu kava. You know, and he said, oh, we don't have any kava like that. And I said, look, this is bang, bang, this is really bang, bang, good stuff, bang, bang, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> anyway, people at the table... Um, I mean, there were some Nivanuatu friends there, and they were laughing, and they were saying, hey, where did you get that cava from? Because we want to go there. <laughs> I, like, I said, have you, have you maybe made it for me? And they said, oh, my gosh, bloody hell. 
Yeah, but I'm going to go look at him tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with the one plastic. Uh, and um, anyway, the British High Commissioner said, "Look, Kirk, I think it's probably best if you go lay down." So he had a couple of people there, like the people working in the kitchen or something, who men who picked me up mm. like that because I couldn't walk. Picked me up, and my legs were going like I was on a bicycle. <laughs> I was like bicycling, <laughs> and I was still talking. But as as they were carrying me out, I was still laughing and talking. And I said to the to the Fijian High Commissioner, uh, or the Fijian, the, the representative of the Fijian government, I said, look, this Vanuatu Kava is really special, and it's something that uh, uh, that you can ask the people at the table about, and stuff like that. And then, mm-hmm. they, <laughs> then, they, then they, and I was saying that as they took me out and put me into this uh, side bedroom there for me to sort of sleep <laughs> it off. Huh? So that, that's the kind of thing that every now and then it, uh, they can trick you with. Yeah? Anyway, I uh, I said to the have you the next time I saw him. I said, look, anyway, uh, really good cover, but thank you very much. But you, <laughs> it would have been nice if you'd warned me because I was able to see uh, all these high high people. And he laughed. And he said, oh well, <laughs> that's the reason he did it. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, well, <laughs> so yeah. what was it's always very good to hear all the experience about Kava because I think anybody can tell their the stories, right? Like if you're ever in the Pacific, whether you're in Fiji or anywhere in the Pacific drinking Kava, there's always there's always stories that can be recorded about uh, the the experience of yes, 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 yes. yes. Well, one of the one of the more interesting ones is that. Uh, is this, uh, I don't know, a story which some people in Vila will remember if they're listening to it. This is the famous story of the Handicap Belong Cultural Center. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> and uh, one time, it was 1987, 1987, and I had to go over to a meeting in Tonga. But I was going via Suva, mm-hmm. and um, I went, uh, out. it was an evening flight, mm-hmm. and... Uh, I'd sent a message to, I think either Bini, I think it was to Binihi Nakama, Binihi, mm. uh, saying, look, I've got to go out on uh, 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 an evening flight to Suva, and I'd like to take some kava with me and drink it on the on the plane rather than drink wine or anything like that. Um, and um, can you make some good kava for me, and I'll pick it up on the way out to the airport. So I did that, uh, picked it up, and... Uh, uh, Amy and John Sowen and John and everybody were, yeah, they, they were all ready with the kava and I picked it up, put it under my raincoat, the same Burberry's raincoat that everybody was spitting on it at the back of in the Binihi Nakamal 10th year celebrations <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, went up on the plane and I went uh, sat down in, on the plane next to Captain Klaus, that beewee fellow man from yeah, yeah. Sweden or wherever yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Captain Klaus. And as the, as the plane took off, he was drinking beer and red wine and stuff like that. I got out my plastic and my shell, plastic cover, and started drinking. Um, and anyway, when the plane, when we landed at Suva, it was nighttime, mm-hmm. and um, uh, when I got up to get out of the plane, I found I could hardly get up. Mm-hmm. It really affected our drinking cover at high altitude. I mean, I don't know if that was the first time that anybody had drunk cover at high altitude, but or whatever, but it really affected my... <clears throat> I mean, uh, you know, I mean, you get certain types of cover that do affect your legs, but this was beaten mark. Mm. And anyway, going down the ladder from the plane to get to the bottom, um, uh, uh, I had a really hard time, and I had to have people help me down, mm. you know. And down at the bottom of the steps was a big uniformed Fijian from the airlines, mm. big fella hair, 
And he said, oh, sorry, sir, we hadn't, we hadn't been notified that there was a handicapped on the plane. Otherwise, we would have had a wheelchair waiting for you. You know, and I said, no, 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 it's all right. It's not, it's not, it's not, um, and not handicapped. It's just that I've just been drinking some Vanuatu Cava on the plane. I've got some left. Do you want the rest of the bottle? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> anyway, he very kindly uh, helped me out to get to where I needed to go. Um, but when I got back to Vila, I made the mistake of actually telling the story to somebody. Uh, we had some laughs about it. And the next day, walking through town, I said, people were going, handicap, long culture, said, yeah, handicap, yeah, and stuff like that. And that went on for, for, for quite a time, you know. Uh, and funny enough, it's just resurfaced a couple of months ago when I was on a, on a call meeting, Zoom meeting or something with some people in Vila. And uh, some of the people I was talking to, one of them, a chap, a chap from, uh, 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 uh friend for, that I hadn't seen for many years, mm-hmm. walks onto the screen and he goes, ah, handicap ya, handicap, and he's laughing, you know, <laughs> the story is not completely dead. But that, that, that's the story of the, if you ever hear a story in Vila about the ca- handicap long culture center, yeah. it's me. Uh. Yeah, I think <laughs> But that's that, possibly yeah. the effects of, uh, maybe the effects of drinking cava at high altitude, yeah, but it always gives you all the uh, stories. It exaggerates, you know, or increases the strength of the carver. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it's always... You might, you might want to try that, Jason. See if you try it as an experiment. Huh? Yeah, so he's... Um, can you hear us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you hear us, Jason? Don't know if he can hear us. I think he's into his... his He's probably... Aggie's into his fourth show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I really want to thank you. I really want to thank you for our discussion. This is, has been really, really entertaining and really good to see the, to hear the different aspects of, um, you know, we start off with your experience and then we talk about the uh, origin. Um, obviously, it's... Uh, one of the hot debate in the Pacific, but we can all say that we, you know, we all share in that origin, and the extent of uh, how cover was transported by humans. Obviously, the men were the ones, and I would love to know if there were women as well on those canoes who went out, because sometimes I'm wondering if they would probably be the the ones doing all the trading and all that. Um, but we we've talked about that. We've talked about the you know, being able to be very careful not to over-commercialize it in terms of our land space because we do need to be able to grow our own crops to feed our people, uh, to balance it, but mostly also to um, embrace it in terms of the medicinal purposes of what we've been blessed to have. Um, and in the variety of different things that we have spoken of, of course, this, the wonderful stories Jason shared his historic uh, in you know con- contrast and uh, com- comparing your stories which are always fun and so that's what Kava does and it's a wonderful way to not only bring respect but build relationships and peace um, and we mentioned some examples of the you know wonderful things where you walk into the Nakama and you've been yelling at your neighbors and then you can go sit down and and have a good story and um, after two to three shells cover. Um, is there any other things that we haven't touched on that you feel that it would be nice, maybe one of your stories, experiences, um, that something that maybe would stick in the minds of not just 
our listeners, but also for me, to know that this is a, something that we need to not just preserve, but really value and understand it in more in-depth um, way of how we relate our lives to what Carver does and in, in terms of respect, in terms of peace, in terms of dialogue and, and other aspects of our cultures. What are the, some, some of the things that um, we should keep in mind so we not we don't over dilute it to the point where we just you know become so commercialized that we're now carrying plastics of carol everywhere without realizing the very essence of of what this drink is to to a Pacific Islander or to a Nivanuatu or maybe you know someone from Tana from from Ambrem from Palma from Mumbai. Um, all of that. Yes, look, it's very important, I think, for man place to remember that kava is part of you. Hmm. It comes out of your land. It comes out of Mama Ground, yeah. Yeah. It comes out of your land. It's part of your identity. And the ways that you, uh, that your ancestors developed kava and have used it over centuries have helped to make you what you are today. Mm. And that strength of cultural character needs to be passed on to future generations. If you over-commercialize it without respect, that will tend to uh, introduce illnesses, I think, uh, a, a, a loss, sorry, not illness, a loss of identity, mm. tend to contribute towards a loss of identity mm. in the society. I mean, look, these identity, it's really, uh, uh, I mean, it's really part and parcel of many things that are really essential to man place. Look, for example, the traditional use of kava on tana mm. is so specific and so focused mm. is that traditionally wives on tana who won't drink kava, who cannot even see kava, not even allowed to see kava being prepared mm. in the evenings, Traditionally, they will know that their husbands are drinking kava for a specific purpose. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And part of the specific purpose is using some of the rituals associated with the kava to get the uh, uh, word to the spirit world where the message needs to be received. Part of that process is spitting. Mm. And the cultures on Tana traditionally are so focused on aspects of this that it is said that the next day after a kava session, a wife walking along the edge of the kava drinking area the next morning will be able to recognize uh, her husband's dried kava spit and differentiate it from the kava spit of other men. That's how finally the culture is focused on this thing. And so the wives will check on the quality of the dried kava spit. Mm. And then they'll see that, okay, yes, the proper thing's been done. So hopefully the result will be so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Mm. Um, look, there's, there's all sorts of things like that to do with kava that maybe the younger generation might not necessarily, because they're so focused on smartphone, mm. all these smartphones and things like that, uh, that they may not get a chance to actually get these cultural rituals from their parents or grandparents or uncles or aunts or grandmothers or whatever, 
or grandfathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very, very important. But the outside world can benefit from kava. <coughs> um, uh, but those who are involved in that, please make sure that it's done with respect. Mm. Uh, and, and, and make sure that every time people overseas in whatever country drink kava, that they are reminded that this comes from the Pacific, right. this comes from a particular area of the Pacific, right. this is what it's for, this is it's part of identity. Mm. It's part of identity. But it is the Pacific's, potentially the Pacific's gift to the world right. if the world is intelligent enough to use it in the right way. Mm. The world may not be intelligent enough to use it in the right world way. Mm. The world may try and over... <coughs> commercialize it <clears throat> or turn it into a vaccine yeah. <laughs> to make more money out of it, mm. you know, mm. or whatever, you know. It's really, uh, uh, uh. but also to remember that Kava can, can bring peace, it can bring unity. Yeah. Mm. Now, one of the things that people had complained about, for example, here in Australia, was the fact that, um, I mean, Kava, the, the drinking of cow, powdered Kava was introduced into Australia by two missionaries from Fiji, in the early 1980s, who were working up in the Northern Territory, mm -hmm. and who saw uh, Aborigines drinking alcohol, and they saw the devastation that alcohol uh, uh, had on the Aborigines. Mm -hmm. And people have always said that, oh, the Australians, and with the people in the United States have said about the American Indians, they can't mm -hmm. take alcohol, they can't mm -hmm. drink alcohol, they get drunk really easy. And they're sort of said as sort of like an insult in a way. Right. But th the thing is, the thing is, uh, to be able to digest alcohol, you have to have in your stomach a type of enzyme called gastric alcohol dehydrogenase mm. or dehydrogenase. Dehydrogenase. Now, Australian Aborigines and American Indians don't have that enzyme. Mm. And that's the reason why drinking alcohol is very, very damaging for them. Uh, they can get drunk very easily on very small amounts of alcohol, and they can tend to get very violent on it. Mm. That's what happens to people that don't have that essential stomach enzyme. But for white people, uh, the, our white people's ancestors fought strong over many, many generations mm. to actually <laughs> develop this enzyme. We mm. accidentally, or on purpose, or however, I don't know, mm. thousands of years ago, developed an enzyme that enables us to digest alcohol without too much damage. Mm. But certain population groups around the world um, don't have that enzyme. Mm. Aborigines don't have enzyme to drink alcohol that enables them to drink alcohol easily. American Indians in North, Central, and South America don't have that enzyme. Japanese, only 50% have that enzyme. Mm. Uh, amongst Europeans, 4% of women of European origin don't have that enzyme. Mm. You know, yeah. Those types of people can't take alcohol. Mm. But they can take kava. Right. Kava can be um, an antidote to alcohol. Can, one of the reasons why the missionaries introduced alcohol and uh, kava into the Northern Territory in the early 1980s was to, as an antidote to alcohol. Mm -hmm. So you, you get rid of alcohol and you drink kava instead. Right. Unfortunately, by about 1983-84, certain Aboriginal groups up there in the North realized that they could drink alcohol and drink kava at the same time, the same and they overdid it yeah. a little bit, you know. Mm. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Calais, yeah. but they, mm. Calais over Mac, huh? yeah. uh, so they uh, had a bit of a rough time. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, the thing is, uh, unfortunately, what happened was then in <laughs> 2008, the Australian government banned kava, mm. made kava illegal, 
uh, and so forth. Uh, and the, the ban's only been relif- lifted just recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, unfortunately, forcing Aborigines back onto alcohol, yeah. uh, which is the thing that really damages them, because the yeah. cannabis uh, doesn't doesn't do the same thing. Yeah. So uh, there has that. There's that, and as- that's an aspect that needs to be looked into as well. Yeah. But I don't think that. Uh, 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 I think uh, kava is a really good, relatively, and very safe medicine, just so, like anything. Yeah. You, just as long as you don't overdo it, you know. Right. Uh, there are limits to anything, you know, if you I, have too much... Uh, uh, yeah, I think that kava, to end a conversation, I think kava is, uh, again, it's a gift to the Pacific to protect the Pacific in a way, to protect them... Um, you know, to protect him from a lot of things, to protect him from what the world has been very systematically being driven into, not just commercialization, but also just everything that's to, you know, to, in order to break down uh, our world, our, our way of living. And I think Carver has allowed and keep the Pacific people um Yes. Still going and still, you know, everything. It's, it's like a central piece of who we are. Um, yes. yes. Yes, it is. You're right. And, You're right. Uh, just it's a re- central piece. And yeah. it's peace, respect. Yeah. Right. And so just recently yeah. we had the Pacific yeah. Island and Forum. And it protects, it protects yeah. the... Yeah. 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 Yes. Hopefully they'll be drinking cover to end yeah, that off. Well, in that a good I was, way. yes, I was yeah. going to say that uh, again, like showing that again, showing up in those uh, important, very, very important meetings. And um, like you said, if we have disagreements with our friends, that's what brings us together. And so you start with that and you end, yes. you end with that. And there's no way in the yeah. world that you can have that um, kind of. Uh, bringing of peace and respect, uh, an ongoing dialect, um, or they they would say in the Fiji and Tonga and somewhat Talanoa, and we would say Storian and you know Solomon Islands and PNG may, PNG may be using talk uh, talk story or whatever the case may be, but it's it's the central part of bringing us all together, and so I think yeah. that that's obviously something that again, like you said, it's an our, our identity and we need to protect it. At all costs, I think. Um, be smart in how we can use it commercially. Be smart in how we can uh, use it in terms of making uh, some cash on the site. But be very smart to be able to also protect everything that is of essence to who we are and what it has done and will continue to do so in the years to come, hopefully, for, for the Pacific and for Vanuatu. So I, I, I really want to thank you again for, for your time, for your continuous knowledge that you, you continue to pour into the people of Vanuatu and by way of this podcast that does go out on Radio Vanuatu. Um, so much that you've given to us, really. And uh, I've been anxiously waiting for this time to have this conversation about cover. So I will give you the last word before we, we say tata for now. Uh, Tabiana Mary, that's a very nice way to finish off. I'd just like to finish off with a, f- a few brief thank yous mm-hmm. to some people that uh, 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 
that uh, like Chief Willie Lobb, who had the Ciro Ciro Nakamal down at Mel Cafe many, many years ago. That was one of the earlier uh, uh, Nakamals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw Chief Willie Lobb uh, uh, in 2019 at the at the Arts Festival up there on, at Malakula. It was really good mm-hmm. to see him again. Mm-hmm. His Nakamal, Ciro Ciro, was one of the early popular ma- uh, Kava Nakamals in Vila. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Maliudu, Binihi, Ciro mm-hmm. Ciro was Chief mm-hmm. Willie's Nakamal. And also then uh, Reynolds, Reynolds Garai of mm-hmm. uh, Reynolds mm-hmm. uh, Nakamal, mm-hmm. uh, up near the Culture Centre. Hello, Reynolds and family. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, thank you very much, Reynolds. Uh, yeah, spent a lot of money at your place. <laughs> and <laughs> years that's, ago. that's still uh, there, yeah. right? <laughs> yes, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I stayed there in 2019. Really okay. nice. It was really mm-hmm. good to see Reynolds again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ronnie's Nakamal up there and everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and then to all the people in the outer islands that... Who one has drunk Kava with for over so many years, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been it's been some of the best minutes and hours and evenings of my life have been spent drinking Kava and talking with respect to Nivanuatu friends uh, and family mm-hmm. uh, uh, about culture mm-hmm. and and the real world and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, it's really it's really a, it's really a, a special thing that you can't get. Mm-hmm. Uh, over here in Australia, or you can't get over in, for example, in Europe or the United States. Yes. Uh, the powdered kava that you can get mm-hmm. can <clears throat> maybe help, maybe help you mm-hmm. uh, get a bit of atmosphere to that, but it's mm-hmm. only a, a shadow reflection of the real atmosphere in a real uh, kava nakamal. And, and also the drinking of powdered kava is a rather unusual thing, I find, because for people who have, are used to drinking freshly made kava, Mm. One might say that drinking powdered kava is sort of kava drinking for those who don't know about kava. Look, I'm sorry to all my friends in Fiji you're talking about like that because that mm. tends, I think, at the moment to be about the. But uh, this is one of the things with the powdered kava is what one will be able to get overseas outside of the Pacific. Mm. Uh, but even the powdered kava can't, and all the sort of kava tablets and stuff can't replicate the same. Mm-hmm. combination of stuff that you get from the fresh natural stuff combined with the atmosphere of a darkened uh, uh, men's hut mm-hmm. with a fire and a group of wise people talking about the real world of spirits and, and this and that and uh, all these sorts of things. It's very hard to replicate, but at least one can try overseas. Mm. Um, look, thank you very much, Mary, for giving mm. me the opportunity to say a few words here. Mm. Anyway, another time. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming to the mat, and we'll talk again in the very current future. Yes, okay. Thank you, Mary. And thank uh-huh. you, Jason. Good uh, to hear your voice. Yeah. Okay. podcast is created and produced by Melanesian Women Today, a non-profit organization. Please visit our website at www.melanesianwomentoday.org. That is all one word. Melanesian Women Today envisions a Pacific region where every woman, girl, and child in their respective communities in Melanesia lives a productive, healthy, and fulfilling life. We are on a mission to improve the well-being and quality of lives and also to promote and improve leadership in women and girls in their communities. 
please consider making a donation today on our website to support our work. Thank you for your support.